I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. We are welcoming back regular co-host Dan Phillips for this week's show. How are you doing today, Dan? Very good, thank you. Very good. Good, good. So this is a special episode. It's up first. We're going to be reviewing the October 6th, 1974 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. And then later, along with ECW expert Mark Dunderdale, we are jumping in our time machines back to September the 19th, 1999, for our first ever ECW review. And we look back at Extreme Championship Wrestling's Anarchy Rules 1999 event for this month in wrestling history. But first, Mid-South, and very disappointingly, this episode does not exist on YouTube. Uh, So for the first time in a while, we've had to head over to the WWE Network and we get their annoying presented in the most complete form possible due to original production technical difficulties at the start. Um, We get the new title sequence, but still the old stock WWE music is put over the top. Um, uh, while it's annoying not to have the full version on YouTube, the pictures and the sound are a significant upgrade on the network. Uh, for example, who knew that the ring apron was purple? Did you notice that? I just thought, yeah, the quality was so good. I just, yeah. I've got that to write down to you to say, that, like, if they changed venue, but yeah. no, they hadn't. It's just, it's just actual colour, like proper colour. I know. So, like, yeah. We were watching. Just for anyone, just to confirm, we weren't watching YouTube in black and white. No. We were watching no. in colour, just what I now know is very dull colour. Well, I think those, those, those YouTubes are someone's personal VHS collection, which I sh- assume he somehow digitised, I suppose is the right word, and, and uploaded. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, 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 I mean, these... these I mean, these, the production on this is incredible, considering this is 1984. And yeah, purple, so, purple ring, who knew? Is, is that message uh, presented in most complete form, etc.? This is the first time, sorry, I've watched on the network. Oh, okay, yeah. Does that message come up every time? Is so that presented in most complete form possible due to original production basically, technical difficulties? Yeah, that, that, that is on a load of archival stuff across the network for all sort of, for, their, for WWE themselves, for different, different territories. And I don't oh, okay. really know what it means. I, I don't know whether there was, I, I would doubt there, there's a load of damaged tapes in here. Um, and I don't know whether sometimes they, I mean, clearly they didn't edit some stuff out that we're going to talk about later on. Um, not that necessarily they should do. It's just, you know, these things are presented as they were at the time, and I think that's the way it is. But, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, the show on the network was about 42 minutes. Usually on YouTube, it's about 44-ish. So, yeah, no idea what actually didn't, yeah, didn't make the I, final. I wasn't sure if it was linked link to the fact that we couldn't find it on YouTube. Yeah, possibly. So I wasn't sure if they yeah. were linked. The YouTube maybe is- whoever is uploading them hasn't got a... Hasn't got a good quality version or it's damaged or it don't exist i don't know yeah possibly i mean there are a few missing ones all this time there was there was one um that was missing from quite a, a while ago which was the which was the last one i think that was that's the last show that i haven't been able to do which is early january i believe uh, but yeah just, just an interesting difference between youtube and the network obviously we're missing the music here so um jim ross and joel watts are at the desk and ross runs through that we have magnum ta here this week also the fantastics versus hercules and dr death steve williams plus terry taylor in a big tv title match against adrian street and finally the midnight express have been ordered to face master g and brickhouse brown in a rematch after what happened last week uh, we then get a long recap of the match, uh, which ended when Cornette pulled the top rope down. The ref didn't seem to see. And then before long, there was a melee with Ernie Ladd and Butchery coming out. G fought back, but he ended up taking uh, a beating, including a terrible whipping from a belt um, until Sonny King, Megan T.A., Terry Taylor and Hacksaw Jim Duggan finally made the save. Um, back at the desk, Jim Ross says that the match will happen next. And it's further proof of why Mid-South Wrestling is the best wrestling television show in the, in the world. 
So first up in ring this week, we have Master G and Brickhouse Brown versus the Midnight Express. Jim Cornette takes a microphone from Boyd Pierce, who is wearing an incredible purple checkered jacket, which is a solid 9 out of 10 on the Boyd Pierce fashionometer. Cornette says that Watts has one more week to give him back his money and give him a public apology. Otherwise, he and the Midnight Express are leaving the promotion with the tag team titles. Um, the music they play over the top of the Midnight theme is like something out of a drug-fueled rave from the 1980s. Uh, and Master G's is pretty similar. Did you spot the very average sign in the crowd that someone had made that read Wimp Busters? I didn't spot that. I did spot the fact that when Master G and Nana and... Uh, uh, come out when they come out sorry Brickhouse Brown come out that they seem to pan to the only black lady in the crowd oh did they and okay. just stick on her and I was just like come on this is ridiculous <laughs> they literally I swear they like just like literally zoomed in and it was like why are you doing this I noticed that but I didn't notice the signage no I mean the, the, the sign yeah the, it was like a bit of brown car at least I'm remembering this wrong it's a bit of brown cardboard and the writing on the the writing on it was disproportionately small with the size of cardboard it was. So yeah, a very very <laughs> bad effort from uh, from whoever put that together in Shreveport. Um, so there are huge cheers from the crowd after about ninety seconds. Uh, Cornette and Hercules leave the area as Ross says it looks like it's turning into an impromptu lumberjack match as various baby faces, including Terry Taylor, the Fantastics, Sonny King, and Magnum TA surrounded the ring. Um, I thought Master G looked quite good on this early on um, with some good iron drags and a couple of nice-looking head scissors, albeit later in the match he did slightly botch uh, uh, an ambitious, shall we say, headstand move off of Bobby Eaton's back. Um, the crowd counted along with the referee as the Midnight Express regrouped on the outside and called for a timeout. Um, I should mention that my internet cut out of home about eight times while I was watching this match, which is always an absolute delight. We're trying to make notes for a, for a review, which messed up my, my stopwatch unfortunately, which is sad. So I can't say with any degree of accuracy that my timing is correct coming up here. Um, ultimately, after Conjure was deposited to the outside, Master G hit a uh, body block and then one of the worst looking submissions I've ever seen for the win in about six minutes and six seconds. It looked like a figure four leg lock on one leg, but Eaton just had his leg straight up in the air, lying on his back. Um, this finish took me out a little out of the match, but clearly they're pushing G to the moon here with a clean win over the Tag Team Champions. What did you think of this one? And what did you think of this, an inverted commas, submission? Okay, so firstly, I guess I'm just thinking, what I'm not quite sure how they how doing this rematch means that Mid-South is the best wrestling promotion. I don't really understand. I didn't understand that comment. Oh, because we're repeating a match we done last week, that is why we're the best. I thought that was a bit bizarre. Like, I guess that the you're revenge, the best promotion. Revenge the baby faces, maybe. But I know what I you mean. Know. Yeah, it's yeah. bizarre. Um, yeah, um, one of my observations is <clears throat> you got Hercules is Jim Cornette's bodyguard. Um, I'm slowly sort of understanding that he potentially is one of the worst bodyguards I've ever seen because it recaptured the previous week and he just stands there, doesn't he? Like right at the front of the ring. Yep. And it was all kicking off behind him and he just stood there. I would have thought one of the purposes <laughs> of bodyguard is to get involved. That you do and then this week, yeah. the lumberjacks come out and he running legs it with him. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not, I don't know if he's a great uh, bodyguard. I thought it was a bit strange. The, the ref count when they're out the ring as well is so fast. Yeah. The 10 count. Oh, so they got in. Now, it's interesting you say about the finisher. I thought he pinned him. Oh, right. Okay. Way, because it was just some sort of monstrosity of, you know, just... I don't know, hooking a leg here, an arm here, a head here. He's got both his shoulders down. 
Was it a pink? No, no, it wasn't. No, it was Oh, okay. I was just saying, I wonder if I got that wrong. Yeah, sorry, carry on. So when he done it, I was like, oh, he's, oh, he's pinned him. But then he was submitted. But as you say, I don't really know what part of his body he had. He had his leg here, his arm there. It's very strange. Um, but as for the match itself, oh, it's quite good. Um, yeah. These guys, I, uh, Brickhouse Brown, I think I was covered the other week and I thought he looked quite good. And he still is. But this one certainly was the, the emphasis was on was on Master G, wasn't it? Yes. So, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, was, I thought it was quite a good match actually. And the yeah. lumberjack thing was a nice touch. I hadn't seen that before um, in this promotion. Sorry. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I like this one. But yeah, it was a it was a bizarre ending. Yeah, it was. It really was. Um, so next up, we have the California Nature Boy Buddy Landell versus Johnny Mantel. Um, I was quite excited at the start of this one because so I've been impressed with Mantel and Landell has always looked good. Mantel and Landell, one after the other, is quite a difficult thing to say. Um, so I thought yep. this is yeah this this was a really fun back and forth encounter. I thought one of the stronger ones I've seen on Mid South for a while. Though we've got a good match coming up later on. Uh, Mantel caught Landell with a flying knee for a near fall, um, but when Landell kicked out Macquaggy, Mandel Landell. This is ridiculous. But when Landell kicked out, Mantel landed on the ref. This gave Landell the opportunity to pull something out of his trunks, presumably brass knuckles, and blast Mantel for the win in 4.54. So what did you think of this tongue-twisting encounter? I think you can be forgiven for being mistaken when the great Jim Ross got it wrong. Oh, did he? I when didn't spot that. he shouted out, Mantel's got, Mantel had something in his tights. Mantel had something in his tights. To which Joel went, I think Landell had something too. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know why yeah. I didn't spot that. Yeah, that's great. So that's I really think great. Actually, Joel saved Jim Ross there. Rather than going, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, he's gone, oh, I think he had something too. So I rewound that a couple of times just to be like, have I missed something? Have they both got something out and he's got their first? No, I think JR just got it wrong. Oh, so, wow. okay. So if he could get it wrong, mate, I think you can be let off on this stage. And, and who would have thought that Joel Watts would save Jim Ross in the commentary yes. role. There yeah. you go. I've seen it all. Absolutely um, incredible. Yeah, uh, it was one of the better matches. It, there was a long section for holds. Yeah, the worst which holds. I know I go on about yeah. this. Oh, it's just a bit too long for me, that bit. Um, and actually, normally like, they do the holds. There seems to be some sort of benefit at the end. Of it. I don't think it was. They held for ages and then they both just seemed normal. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, it's my favourite ref. My uh, again for the UK people, the Mickey Pierce Fools and Horses lookalike. Yeah. Who I now found find out his real name is Pee Wee Anderson. Yeah, he's, he's WCW as well. Yeah, brilliant. And he even so when he lands on him, I think Joel says, "Poor little Pee Wee." Ah, oh, <laughs> just great, classic. Um, but yeah, good match. But yeah, one for me, one for a uh, one for Joel's scrapbook to say the day he he uh, dug Jim Ross out of a out of a hole there. Yeah, absolutely. I've just been, funny enough, I've just um, nearly finished Jim Ross's second book, which I would highly recommend. It's, um, there's a lot of, I haven't got to the bit where his wife passes away yet, um, but there's been some he- like really heavy duty emotional stuff talking about his relationship with Vince Mann and how badly treated he was in, in WWE at a certain times. So I would, I would definitely recommend it. In fact, I'm recommending that to you. I'll probably just send it to you or give it to you next time I see you once I finish it. So I said, oh yeah, go out and get it. I was just going to hand it over to you next time I see you. Um, right, so next up. This is a big one. Uh, so this is the TV title match. And sadly, Adrian Street's music does not make it to the network for this t- uh, television title challenge. 
and he comes out with a lovely paint job and some interesting looking chains on his outfit. Miss Linda, his faithful companion, is there and she has the mirror, the comb and the magic spray to make sure that Mr. Street is at tip-top physical and emotional shape for this big match. Um, this felt like it went on for an eternity and there was no commentary over this bit. So I wonder whether this might have been either damaged or edited off for some reason. Um, so Taylor, bizarrely, the champion, sort of snuck in uh, and he had the, had the medal around his neck. Um, Street's long tights have a little bit of the Bret Hart about them with wings coming off the skull, um, which I thought were quite, were quite good. Um, Jim Ross says on commentary that Street is an unorthodox individual and says, look at that man, well, I suppose he's a man, in a bad line right out of 1984. Um, did you notice in this the shots that Street gave Taylor when he had his arm back behind his back? He gave him about three punches with like an arm lock on. No, I mean, to be honest, I was so encapsulated by the ring walk. Oh, right. Okay. And, and just the whole, for a start, uh, Bill Watts announcing Adrian Street's in a ring with a, just a look of confusion. Oh, just, bo- just uh, like, who was it? Boy Pierce, Boy Pierce, yeah. Just, Boy Pierce, Boy Pierce, yeah, Boy Pierce. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Bob Yeah, with just a look of who, like he says his name, and then he just sort of looks at the camera and sort of not rolls his eyes, but looks a bit like, oh, who's this? Oh, I didn't this? spot that. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, he sort of like it just sort of stops on him for a second, um, and uh, yeah, it's not his real music. However, I did find myself sort of dancing along and and uh, to him. I mean, he's got a ring walk thrust, shall we say? Mm. Uh, gets pre-match perfume sprayed on his things it's just I must admit I think a few weeks ago I'd done one of his matches he has camped it up if that's possible since then oh yeah they're pushing the button hard he's massively camped he's massively camped it up he's skipping he's having perfume he's you know thrusting his pelvis all over the shop Um, do make me think and just a question for you in regards to ring walk What's your favourite ring walk that anyone's ever uh, ever done, or you know, walk down? Not, not not entrance, like so. Take the mu- take the music out of it. Just um, like you know, what someone does when they come down to the ring. Okay, there's two I really like. I really like Steve Austin because he just walks out like he's about to murder someone, basically. Um, yeah, yeah, and I shot. really like Bret Hart because I think Bret Hart's. Um, Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan are pretty iconic ones, but Bret Hart when he comes out, like I just think he. Bret Hart, everything he does is real. Like he's walking down the ring and he's like looking at the crowd. His facials, and, and I tell you what, his facials are so good when he was a heel. And it's like he, it's just real. He's he's coming out legitimately to defend this in this sporting contest. And obviously the Hogan stuff with the yeah. player in the crowd, I think is good. How about you? Um, I feel bad now because I think your ones actually are very genuine and I quite like them. I've gone for the more. I, I used to love DX. Yeah, no, that's great. That's still <laughs> a good one. Yeah. And then I don't think we can look past Triple H. You know, I think pretty much we must have all at some point or another put water in our mouth yes. and done that, tried to do that spray. And then going off of that, and if we're going to the spray, Triple H was no gangrel when it comes to the no, broods no. entrance where he spat blood out. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, that was some ring walk. That that was actually, <laughs> I would say one thing. You were actually genuinely for, for what was at the time. I thought I always thought quite an average tag team or you know whatever combination they went with that was quite a scary walk you actually thought we might lose this and then obviously unfortunately Gangrel wasn't the best wrestler in the world but yeah it was um yeah I must say yeah it just made me think it's a shame that no one really still adopts the old Adrian Street thrust 
and maybe that's something that you know there's a gap in the market to bring that back. I'm not, I don't yeah, know if I'm anyone's not, I'm brave not, enough, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Is that I, I think I'm not sure how that would quite quite go down in in various ways now. But going back to these punches, I, I, Street absolutely punched the absolute hell out of Taylor about yeah. three times, like full on in the in the chin. I was like, crikey, I don't know what's going on. Here. And I actually think these two, I didn't think they clicked all that well. I thought there's a couple of iffy looking moments in this, um, and basically. Taylor got on top of the match after a long sort of beatdown um, and until Street forced a kiss on him. Taylor was so stunned by this that Adrian Street was able to roll him up for the three count and the win in 4.54. So a new Mid-South television champion and Joel on commentary said, I've never seen anything like this before in all of my life, all of my life, a man kissing another man. I can't believe it. And I must say, I did wonder if the lady doth protest a little bit too much here in terms of what, what Joel was saying. He'd never seen this before, but I digress. Um, so when I said over the last few weeks, they weren't pressing this button all that hard. Well, they literally just smashed the button with a sledgehammer. This is, you know, this is of its time. We, you know, we understand that. This is not something that would, you know, attitudes change. I think the, I think the, um, what's, what's the, the line that you see on Netflix and, and Disney Plus things now? I think it contains outdated cultural references, basically. And I think this is, a, this is a fair, you know, thing for this. But um, just, just to finalise this, uh, this segment. So Jim Ross left the commentary position to interview Taylor and Taylor said he couldn't believe he lost like that after everything that had happened to lose it to something like that. Taylor says that Street may have the middle now, but Taylor would be back to get it. Um, I didn't think this was very good from Taylor at all. I thought this was a real mess. Uh, he, he just, whatever he was trying here didn't work. So what did you think of all this? Uh, what did you think of this finish and this uh, post-match? I mean, I, I was in, I just, I, you know, we just go, sorry, did I just watch that? Yes. Correctly. Yeah. Um, you know, he got, as, as he, as he's applying the, as he's applying the lip lock, um, you got uh, Joel saying, oh my God, he's kissing Terry Taylor. Then obviously he rolls him up at a pin, um, which to be honest, actually, you probably would be a bit dazed and confused. I, I, I'm at the, you, I mean, I certainly didn't see it coming. I mean, I know they would have, but you know, I mean, I actually thought that was actually fairly realistic. I that wouldn't would have be been so. A bit like, I don't know. I, I don't be know. Days that I lose my championship over it. <laughs> Maybe not. I mean, just to clarify, I mean, we, let's, let's point out this wasn't a sensual, like, romantic kiss. This was a very. This was, poor, this was an assault. This was, yeah. Yeah. yeah this, was, this was a false. It, it's, it's I, don't, I don't think there was, both parties were getting involved in No. This. I mean, we talked about this before. It's weird to think that the, the forced kiss by a baby face on a heel female valet was a baby face spot for years and years and years. Yeah. You think, like, this is like, it's, it's, it's just so mad how things that are you can clear, clearly see now like plainly wrong, but was like, you did, if it, someone did that in 97 yeah. in an arena, you get 20,000 people going, going crazy for that, wouldn't you? So, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. And but even when he says, so even when he says, I've never seen this yet in my entire life, a man kissing another man, I was waiting for him to end it with, and maybe again, because of the time, to him to say, in a wrestling ring. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, yeah. Or, or in a title match, or in Mid-South. No, he just ends it with, I've never seen a man kissing another man. But I, I, I reckon he probably hadn't. Maybe he anything, hadn't. Yeah, he? It wouldn't have been anything on television. And, and actually, you know, at, at the time, um, I'm, trying to th- I'm trying to think where, when things were, you know, first, you know, first appeared on, in media here. I mean, you had the, um, the 
the uh, stuff in Brookside, didn't you, in maybe the early 90s. But I, I don't think there was anything... That I, yeah. Maybe something in the EastEnders in the, in the late 80s here, but I can't, I, can't, I can't think. So, I mean... Yeah, I mean, this is this that, that. I mean, that's the button they were pressing here. That you know, hard. Um, oh yeah, but but yeah, I mean, I mean, even it's... even when Joel shrieks as well. Like when he yeah. beats him, it's like a shriek. Like he's done it. Like yeah, yeah, real. Yeah, but I think you're, you're right. I mean, I actually was like, I don't know. I feel like I'm sort of quite liking Asian Street. Um, I'm sort of. Do you know what? I'm sort of. Where's my first? First felt a little bit like, oh, what's this? It's a bit of a novelty act. I'm now starting to wonder, I don't know whether this is, you know, as you say, they're pushing the button. Is this also them saying, you know, this shouldn't, this, this is not acceptable is the wrong word, but you shouldn't be, like, we want to shock you, but we also want to be like, okay, this is an angle we're going for. It's not, you know, it's not punishable by death. Do you know, I, I, yeah. I don't know. Is, 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 is Adrian Street, is Adrian Street, doing this for you know because they want to cause a stir which i'm sure they are but is he also in in a way i'm maybe not but like trying to make this more acceptable i don't know i don't know i i I think that's a a very that would be a very nice way with our 2020 eyes to look at it but i actually (laughs) think i actually think this is this is because because i because i'd not not i'm not sure defended is the right word but we, we knew what this was when this first was on but actually they weren't pressing it too hard yeah. and actually he was getting some cheers a few weeks but now they've pressed it hard um and i hope for the sake of us reviewing it they they uh get the sledgehammer away from that button and don't and don't hit it quite so hard but you know i, I think this was they could have hit this a lot harder the gold dust stuff in wwf if you look at some of that stuff from from what uh, 10, 12 years after this, 12 years after this, I mean, that there was F words and all sorts of things on Raw that, you know, are still on the WWE network now. Yeah. Um, and you actually think for, for 84, they weren't pressing it quite as hard, but we, you know, we know, we know what this is. But yeah, interesting. He's come in and they've pushed him hard. I, I like him as well. I like his aggressive style. I just didn't think this match super clicked. Yeah, so do I. I think, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, for me, I did, I did like, I think I've said before, you don't really see many title matches on on the sh- on the episodes. As I think we've discussed in the past, and you, and you certainly, therefore, because you don't see them that often, therefore, I, well, I certainly don't re- recall listening to reviews or whatever. Many title changes. No, so I, think it's I only never for maybe one expected. One. Yeah, so I never expected that. So that was actually quite good. It was like, wow, yeah. he's actually beat him. That's amazing. Do you know what? I was still waiting for like after he beat him. I was still waiting for something to come up or something to change that he didn't win it. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was great. And actually it did leave me, T- Terry Taylor's after bit was a bit, yeah, a bit flat, didn't really work. Um, the whole something like that, something, he just kept repeating himself. But it has made me think, right, in future weeks, I wonder what angle they're going to go now with this Adrian Street. Because as you say, they've pushed it. He's now, in theory, the top, one of the top men. In yeah, the, yeah. In, in the promotion. The number now. two title. Yeah, where absolutely. They, yeah. Where are they going to go with this? So, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the segment. Mm. Very newsworthy, for, for, wasn't for, it? Yeah. For, all it, for all it is, for all it is, yeah. 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 Um, so after the break, we had uh, Superstar Bill Dundee versus Jason Walker. And Ross calls Dundee one tough little Aussie and stresses again that he can't believe what he's just seen. Joel says it just goes to prove that any man can be pinned and it's just that quick. Uh, Ross says that Dundee ran away to join the circus when he was 13 and he got into wrestling 
the hard way. And Dundee ultimately caught Walker in the sleeper in 157 and he passed out. Uh, not a great amount to this, but I thought Dundee looked pretty good. What did you think of this one? They look like two sort of old British wrestlers. Yeah, I know. You know like mean, the like, old yeah, school. Yeah, world of like, sport type stuff. Yeah, two sort of, not, not overweight, but you know, simple tights, simple boots, white, white, sort of slightly, yeah, slightly stocky males going at it. Um, Join the circus of 13, I thought was, <laughs> I laughed out. Right, to do what? Wrestle? I don't, I don't know. Juggle? Yeah. Why, why does that? He's left, he gave he's up left juggling this, to join the wrestling business. Yeah, like, yeah. He's left. He's left to join the circus. At, but oh, do you know what? I've just had a look. He's actually sixteen, and he joined the circus as a trapeze artist. Oh wow! How interesting. So there you go. Good fact. Uh, so there you go. And he was actually born in Scotland. Oh, was he? Because I was wondering. Yeah, I was wondering why that that was it. But yeah, it says he was born in Angus, Scotland, but raised in Melbourne. And at the age of sixteen, he joined the circus as trapeze artist. <laughs> um, there you go. Then who would have thought? And I'll tell you what, I definitely wouldn't have called that looking at this guy's physique that he was a trapeze artist. No, he must um, have been a bit more slight back have, then. Yeah, um, as you say, nothing really. I mean, they called him the master of the sleep hold. I certainly would say that based on the fact that the guy he put him in a sleep hold, and literally within about five seconds, he was out. <laughs> Uh, I mean, if that doesn't make you the master of the sleep hold, I don't know what yeah. does. But yeah, a bit of a, bit of a, uh, uh, yeah, nondescript match. But um, yeah, good to uh, good, good to learn a little fact about you know yeah, every day you the circus. hear about Clearly, a bloke leaving the, the circus. Perhaps if I join the circus now, I might be AEW world champion within the next yes. couple, couple of years. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I do though. Perhaps they're looking for a giraffe, and they don't get animals in the circus yeah. anymore, do they? Unfortunately. <laughs> And so back from break, Ross has stood at the commentary desk with Early Lad, um, who will be the guest commentator for the Magnum TA versus Steve Brinson match. Um, Lad says that he plans to take the belt from Magnum. Um, Ross said that Magnum got a tremendous ovation here, but I actually thought it was a little bit underwhelming. Um, Lad says on commentary that Magnum has proved to be quite the champion, but he could take the title away from him at any time. Lad says that Magnum has incredible stamina, and if you're in there with him, you better bring your lunch because you're going to be in there for a long time. This reminded me of the quickly Kevin thing. Did, you, did that make you remember, uh, with the yeah. guy? Yeah, with the with the, um, the manager was the late and the late and orient. Uh, yeah, bring your effing dinner or something when he was trying to trying to yeah, fight yeah, the yeah, changing yeah. room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> incredible. Yeah, it did, yeah, it's a great. It's, I quite like. I quite like that analogy. It's a good one. Yeah, uh, bring your lunch because you've been in a long time. Magnum won this in short order with a great looking Bellator Suplex. Again, there's two back to back matches here that were really short. So, um, not, not too much about this one, but any, any thoughts on this TA versus Brinson encounter? Yeah, I thought this was, yeah, very similar um, sort of matches, really. Um, the, a couple of observations. The title belt is huge. Yeah. Wow, we like that was. Um, I think yeah. the AEW world title is not... I think the AEW ti- world title That's is... That's quite big as well, yeah. Yeah, is, is, I think it's a mix of this and the IWGP heavyweight title because uh, I think yeah. there's, there's some, there's some yeah, real... Actually, yeah, good yeah. point. Yeah. I know that um, Tony Khan said other, that he watched a lot of mid-set. I mean, he didn't watch it at the time because he'd have been too young, um, but he, he apparently yeah, yeah. he's watched a lot of this stuff. So, yeah, I'm not surprised. Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, just a couple of, uh, yeah, observations as well. As a, as a fellow... Um, co-host um just a couple of observations of ernie lad because you know okay. I thought, you know yep. you, you've always got to watch you've always got to look to improve yourself so i thought let's have a look and see how he does it i didn't take too many uh points from him i don't think he's a natural no uh, i'm not saying i am but he certainly sort of struggles a little bit he didn't know where to look 
uh, for example. Um, we don't have that problem, of course. We don't so, have that problem, no. which is very good, actually, because for all you not know, yeah, I guess I've got my eyes shut. Who knows? <laughs> um, but one thing I would say is, can we just talk about, the? he's a big guy, right? And he wears his trousers high, okay? So, which, <laughs> so okay. But I actually look, the gap, regardless of how high you wear your trousers, the, the, there's a sort of, surely like, depending on what size you've got, the gap between the waistband and where the sort of the, the crotch comes in is surely yes. standardized. This, he's standing at the desk and you, you can't see where the, where the legs start. So therefore it looks like he's wearing a skirt because <laughs> it's so big. Like, you're just like, he, I mean, I assume when you're that big, you're getting specially made trousers, but incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. So, I mean, so what I've taken from my observations is I've just been on to uh, Giacomo and uh, I'll see, I'll see what I can get for next time I'm on. <laughs> Please do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a, yeah, what, like a squash match. At the end of the day, he's one with a belly to belly. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, but that is nothing, his finisher. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I bet it was very quick. Bang. Yeah. Bang. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, no real. No, no real thing here, and I, I'm obviously I assume Ernie Lads on commentary because he's going to challenge him at a later date. I don't, Absolutely, I, I assume yeah. that's the only way I could see he was yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, no, that is that is forthcoming in the weeks to come, definitely. Um, so the Fantastics versus Doctor Death and Hercules Hernandez will close out this week's episode. Hercules and Williams are announced first, and Williams is wearing his helmet. Um, the crowd is out off their feet for the arrival of the Fantastics who have added some more dancing to their act here. Um, so question for you is, what did you think of this dancing? And are we going to see some of these moves uh, when we finally get an away day overnighter for Fulham? I reckon next year it's got to happen, isn't it? It's got to happen. Definitely I mean, happen next year, yeah. I mean, look, I've made the note here that the Fantastics do a dancing ring walk and and the girls are screaming Adrian Street does it a few matches ago people are saying who's this freak yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean I think the guy can't win as we said will you see these moves I think I've established clearly already that you might be seeing the Adrian Street ring walk <laughs> moves maybe uh, busting out but these guys I mean they come down they just like the epitome of like cheesiness and they, they like, really are because I'm sure they weren't dancing as much as this previously they can't they can't, they, they've added this <laughs> Yeah, just, Bill Watts. So he said, "Come on, guys, ramp the dancing up. You get more, yeah, you, know, you get more, more cheers, etc." Uh, they really yeah, were. They're, they're doing the whole like looking at the cameras and yeah. you know, real like. Obviously, I had some sort of like media training, um, but yeah, I said the girls loved it. So you know, what I mean, it's, it's obviously uh, they obviously made you know they, they've got this now down. I did notice, and I think Terry Taylor had the same that another another wrestler with just a plaster bang in the middle of his forehead oh yeah 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 <laughs> is that a, is that a, is that is that because of an injury or is that a, an accessory no it's probably um i don't know whether they uh, ha- it's, it's difficult to know what um, what uh, shows are taped at the same time so it's, right, he's either okay. he's either had to do a blade job on an, on the, the earlier in that day or he's uh, done one at the weekend right. and he doesn't want to bust it open. So I was just but, wondering if this was now like it was just an accessory in the eighties, you know, like you've got to have a plaster in the middle of the year. Yeah, I th- I think basically these guys. I mean, I was watching a Bret Hart match yesterday, and the poor guy like had a little cut on his nose and he had to wrestle someone. Uh, Fatu, the f- future Rikishi, actually, finally, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, on Raw, and like within a minute he was busted, and it was all halfway. So 
like, it did, all it had done was rub the scab and it was busted. So I guess that was just trying. Oh, okay, Otherwise, yeah. the thing's never going to bloody heal, basically. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I don't even notice this, but the ring sounded like it was going to fall apart every time these mm. men hit the ropes. So it was sounding, again, I think that's probably WWE Network enhanced sound, I think, there. But they're really going backwards and forwards with great velocity here. Um, I actually really liked this match until the finish when um, Williams' pesky helmet got involved again. Um, so with the referee's back turned, Hercules hurled Fulton into Williams' head while the helmet was on and got the three can in just over three minutes. So good while it lasted, but I would have liked to have seen a bit more of this. And um, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I, I um, Hercules at one, starts, one stage does a clothesline where he jumps up. Mm. Um, I thought, I love that. I, he come off the ropes and he jumps up and clatters him. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, I, I think I said before, I, I'm very, I think Hercules is great. I think he's really Yeah, really I agree. Um, I've been very impressed with him in his early start yeah, of his career, yeah. Um, I quite like the ending. Um, oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah, mainly because I made a note here uh, that says, football helmet for the doctor. What? What's the... He's doctor death. Why is he wearing a football helmet down? It's his tough man tough man award. Yeah. But yeah, I know what you mean. Oh, he did play football at Oklahoma, to be fair. So yeah, I knew, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then I'm like that, and then I made that note, but then the notes are relevant, because I'm like, ah, there's the helmets got involved. Yeah. I quite like, but when you get these sort of ref distractions and the, the different, you know, like we saw earlier on where he pulled the sort of knuckle duster out, you get the sort of standard ones. I've not seen this one before. This yeah. is, I, thought, and I quite like that. Something a bit different. Yeah, I know, you know what you mean, yeah. Teed it all up. All of a sudden, you know, I just... I'm like, oh, he's distracting the ref. You know something's going to happen. You look, and he's just there with his helmet leaning forward. Bang. I quite liked it. I thought it was clever. I've not seen it before. It's a bit of a different finish, uh, isn't it? So Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I quite liked it. I quite liked it. Uh, so Ross says, next week we have Gentleman Chris Adams. Jake the Snake Roberts is here. Uh, Killer Khan. And we'll also hear from Bill Watts, read Jim Cornette's ultimatum. Ross asked Joel for his opinion about what was happening. Joel starts to look uncomfortable, appears to burp, and then finishes his sentence. God, I can't even get it out. And finishes his sentence. He burps on air, and it made it made it made the final cut. What did you think of this from Joel? This is like the best. This is the best Joel of all time. But he burped. My 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 notes end. My notes say my final note is good show with a nice, uncomfortable Joel Watts ending. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time, he looks like, like, like... You know, we said before that he looked a bit like a work experience. Yeah. Boy or whatever. And then I'm sort of... Like, I'm literally... Do you know what? I was so like, oh, there's me earlier on telling, oh, he's gone and said, you know, he's helped JR out there. Oh, what up, mate? If you really come on leaps and bounds. <laughs> oh, no, the little cheeky burp and a, I don't know what to say. He didn't know what <laughs> no, to say, did he? He was he clueless. I don't know oh, why he oh, gets so... Gone. Don't worry, he's back. He's back. <laughs> why does he get so tongue-tied? Yeah, the, 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 my, this is my favourite now. My, my second favourite was when he got completely tongue-tied and, and Bill Watts was with him that week and he sat in and said... Guys, everyone, Boyd Pierce is back next week to say this guy. You want to see this guy again? Just incredible, incredible. Thank you, Joel Watts. Wherever you are, I hope you're listening. But that was Brilliant. amazing. Good on you. Um, and that's it. The October sixth, nineteen eighty four episode of Mid South Wrestling is in the books, and it's quite a newsworthy show. The changing the TV title, a good encounter between the rhyming Land Elemental plus an exciting but short match with the fantastic Sam Williams and Hercules, uh, albeit sadly with a helmet finish. Uh, what did you think of this uh, show overall this week? Very newsworthy. You know, we had a couple of, as we said, matches that were a bit like, you know, sort of squash matches. But you know what? I think every show is going to have one of them. I think there was there was more 
good than average. And yeah, there was just lots, lots of things. Again, another, do you know what? Another really easy watch. Yeah, it was. And that's what this show is so good at. It's 42 minutes. And do you know what? Yeah, it flew by. And that's what you want. That's really what you want. And actually, you know, we said it before, say it again. You've got these shows now where they're trying to push them out for three hours and whatever it may be. And, so, and this just shows you you don't actually need to do that no, if you no. if you can get it right do you know what you've got these two squash matches in there I'm not complaining about them because you know what they still flowed I didn't I didn't I wasn't bored no they just done no, they no. done the job done I just thought it was a good show I actually one of the, one of the more, more favourite ones I've I've reviewed yeah good stuff right myself and Dan will be back along with Mark very shortly for our this month in wrestling history what's your what's your uh, estimation on how long this uh, this ECW review is going to be. Oh, I've got, I, do you know what? I've, I've never, I think I've only ever seen one ECW event. So I've got a feeling it could be filled with actually uh, a number of questions to our ECW guru because I've got a feeling I'm going to have a lot of what is going on. <laughs> um, I have my assumption of, of what ECW was all about mm. and, 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 and what I think it, it should be about. So I, I've got an expectation, but I, I, but I really have no idea where we're going here. I've, I've, I've even looked at the card. I don't even know half of the people. So I'm actually oh, really? quite intrigued. Yeah. yeah so I don't think I've seen see. it before. Yeah. I, I wonder if we're going to be more or less time than the pay-per-view was itself, but we shall, we shall see. So <laughs> yeah. after the break, we'll be back. What happens when there's no disqualifications, no holds barred, no boundaries? Chicago claims to be the toughest town in America, but even Chi-Town can contain the most intense wrestling event of the millennium, where there are no limits. Every man is out for himself when ECW presents Anarchy Rules. Welcome back and welcome also to ECW Expert. And let's go with historian. I'm not really sure what you have to do to be a wrestling historian, but let's just say we're all historians. Uh, Mark Dunderdow, how are you doing today, Mark? Hello, I'm uh, extremely well, thank you. Good, good. So this is our first three-way dance for this month in wrestling history. Um, so Mark, why don't you give us a quick overview as to where this promotion was leading into this pay-per-view event in September 99? Yeah, it was definitely a transition period for ECW. Um, big changes were needing to be made on screen and there were significant issues going on off screen as well. The company had finally debuted on national TV in the US three weeks before this event. And at the same time, their world champion Taz and tag team champions Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley all signed with the WWF, which mm. left them in the lurch a bit as well. Um, couple all that with according to court records, the company being over $3 million in debt in September 1999. Uh, let's just say it's no wonder Paul Heyman was losing his hair. Yes. Um, yeah, a phrase that was being used around the time. Uh, seen, I saw in a few places when I was researching this, um, ECW was too big to be small, but too small to be big, meaning they were a step up from independent wrestling because they had national TV exposure and pay-per-views, etc. But, they were in a completely different league financially to the WWF and WCW, who they were now in competition with. Yeah, I mean, $3 million losses or three or $3 million debts, I suppose it was actually. Is, is it, I mean, that's a, a huge amount of money for, you know, what was 
really a small, medium-sized business at that point. And I think it's interesting as well. I didn't realize about the TNN stuff because when I saw, and we'll go on to talk about this in a moment, Cyrus came on the screen. I just automatically assumed this was quite a, quite a way into the TNN run, but actually it wasn't, was it? So their national TV exposure was was way after their, I guess, creative peak, I suppose, probably fair to say, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That generally considered their best years creatively were sort of 95, 96 maybe. Mm. And by this point, 99, where we are um, on this show, a lot of their bigger stars had already moved on to uh, the big leagues uh, after getting exposure early on in ECW. Yeah. And Dan, this is, this is, I presume this is, what was this your first experience of watching ECW? And what did you sort of know about this promotion from sort of watching <laughs> wrestling over the years? So I guess ECW for me um, was not really something, I, well, I didn't watch it, as you said, I mean, you're mentioning there that it only sort of got on TV quite later on it's sort of in its, in its life, should we say. Um, you know, growing up, I was just whatever Sky Sports had on. So it's WCW, mm. uh, WWF, sorry. I never even watched WCW, so I was going to say that. Um, my view of ECW was that, and I'm learning, I've learned a few things from watching this episode, is <laughs> all, the ma- all the matches, I just assumed they were all hardcore matches. Yeah, all no so, DQ, uh, that's yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, so so that obviously that was just my assumption. Um, and actually, going into this show, um, I was thinking, okay, so when WWF had the hardcore belt, I actually quite like that. Mm. Um, and I particularly liked it when it went 24-7, quite like the novelty. Yeah. But that was, my, that was my reservation about the show in regards to, I used to enjoy it as a novelty mm. thing. And the hardcore stuff in WWF was the quite basic, in essence, quite poor wrestlers, I would say. They didn't really have much wrestling ability, or certainly not what they were showing. Um, and therefore, they had these matches to sort of legitimise why they were there. Yeah, liven um, up the presentation of two people yeah. that people wouldn't necessarily be interested in. Yeah, yeah. so I was in like, well, I'm just about to watch a three-hour show of, of that, um, which, just a spoiler alert, it was not that. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so there's that. And then I guess the other things for ECW for me were um, the famous EC dub chant. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. Like, obviously knew all about that. Because obviously when, when WWF brought the... In essence, put the, I don't know what, what they would have called it in the end, the rights because obviously the trade. I think it was a trademarks, wasn't it, Mark? Because they were in bankruptcy court, and I think they just. I mean, there was so that was some funny time because I think yeah, they started they, using the name before they were actually able to properly do so, but then they got it later, didn't they? I believe they did when ECW became part of the invasion storyline in two thousand and one. I don't think that they had the rights to use ECW. Yeah. They did, but um, it was sort of toned down, as in they'd use the words hardcore and extreme rather than the letters themselves more often than not. Yeah, and the alliance was pushed a lot, wasn't it, in terms of rather yeah, than using yeah. the, yeah. Um, but yeah, now this is, this is a really interesting time in, in wrestling because this, this is a time in the WWF where they're pushing Triple H as a kind of you know, first world title run. Steve Austin's about to be out for a long time with a big injury. And, and this, is, this is a real, um, you know, a real interesting time and a bit of a change in the guard. But we're, this is clearly, you know, this is, this is as Joey Styles said earlier on, um, apparently their biggest live gate ever to this point. So 6,000 people attended this at the Odium Expo Centre in Chicago. And this drew 89,000 buyers of pay-per-view. And just to, just to compare that, I mean, that is, AEW is doing that based on pay-per-view now, um, worldwide, actually, because I presume that they, that, I mean, obviously this, this ACW is just available in the States. And they mentioned this was in Canada for the first time. But again, you're talking, I mean, I don't think, I think there were some ECW pay-per-views in 2000 that outdrew 
WCW pay-per-views around that time, weren't there? So, I mean, this is a, this is a company that's There was only one um, directly. I did check. Was there? Okay, yeah. And, and from month to month, in March of 2000, the ECW Living Dangerously pay-per-view did beat um, WCW Uncensored. Right, okay. Um, earlier that month. But, I mean, they, they got a much larger than usual buy rate. I think that was... Their biggest ever one of 95,000. Mm. At the same month, WCW had a much lower than usual one for whatever reason. They only got 60,000 wow. uh, buys. And it was a show that featured Hogan, Flair, Sting, Luger, everyone. And people just, just, and that, and that is, you know, obviously the creative killed that company. Mark, um, Mark, how did, Mark, how did you, how were you able to watch them then back in the sort of back in the day? Do you know what? That is my question. Yeah, that's literally my question. My, like, my question is, <laughs> sorry, so Mark, sorry. that's all right. So Mark, we remind me around this time, <laughs> did we have any access to ECW on television? I have vague recollections of watching Hardcore TV. So basically, before they got on national TV, they had a syndicated show in the States called Hardcore TV that would air... It wasn't like a nationally, it's nine o'clock on TNT or USA Network or whatever. It'd be all over the place on different local stations. And I remember that on Bravo, but I think they were, were they always well out of date, Mark? Or did they ever catch up with themselves? They were, yeah. I think it started being shown on Bravo over here around 1998, but yeah. they were actually showing old, older footage. It was stuff from 1996, 97. Because it was same then, train Douglas, Francine, all that lot, wasn't it? In that that sort of thing. Yeah, and then yeah. It, yeah. it gradually caught up though, were I think by around 2000, um, the shows were only a few weeks old. We were oh, getting up to date stuff, but um, the the hardcore TV show itself was um, it was similar in style to the Mid South TV show, which we reviewed from 1984. In that it was sort of match decent matches and interviews, but it was all building towards shows that you wouldn't see. Like yeah. the, as, in addition to the pay per views, they'd have these big monthly shows that were released on DVD at the time. And um, and it would only be small bits of footage from there, like again, like um, mid south in the in the Superdome shows. You might see the odd clip from the odd match, but you had to buy the vi- well videotapes in them days, not DVDs, to um, to see the full shows. And yeah. that's how I kept up with it. I was in the tape trading thing where I'd get hold of um, some ECW shows maybe a month after they aired, oh, and that's okay. how I used to watch it. That's really interesting. And, and, and the DVD stuff, and, and obviously VHS tapes back then, was a massive thing. I mean, Ring of Honor was essentially a company that survived on that for years and years and years. They would have a, I don't even know what TV they had back in. I don't think they had any, actually, did they? They just had a, they just had a show, and they brought it out on, on DVD probably two or three months later, and it did, did big numbers. So, yeah, very different business model to obviously wrestling companies now with, with streaming and stuff. Um, so this show started with a limo. I've written limmy, a limmy pulling up. It was actually a limo pulling up with a driver in a terrible short sleeve black shirt that was untucked and a loose tie. If you're going to put a tie on, you've got to do it up, haven't you? Come on, got to do it up. Yeah, oh yeah, take your shirt in as well. Like, I just I hate that at weddings. You see someone in the church at church at a wedding, see someone with a tie on, and it's all like all down. It's like that. That's all right in about six hours' time when you've had eight pints, but just just do it up if you can have it on. Um, so yeah, out of the limo stepped Masato Tanaka, and the interviewer asked him how it feels being the number one contender to the ECW World Title. Um, in the background, someone I didn't know complained about Tanaka being in the way of his VIP parking spot. Um, uh, this guy appears a bit later on. Uh, Mark, just t- tell us a bit about this this guy, and, and you know, was this was this guy featured a lot on ECW, or was he a fairly new character at the time? Well, this was Judge Jeff Jones. Yeah. Um, He'd become a regular character within ECW earlier that year because uh, he was the manager of and mouthpiece for Psycho Sid when he was there briefly. Ah, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. 
And I think um, the reason he was, I think he started off as a referee now, I think about it, but then he became a judge. He wore the gown and carried the gavel. Um, I think it was a call back to when Sid first joined the WWF back in 1991. They called him Sid Justice. So having a judge with him was uh, to ensure justice was served. And Sid had come out, squashed people, and um, (laughs) that was how that tended to go. But because he was working without a proper contract, he left ECW with no warning um, back in May of 1999 when WCW came in with a contract offer. And... um, so Jones hadn't been on TV, I don't think, from that point until he returned on this pay-per-view with another monster, as we will discover later. Did he Did he appear on WCW TV at all? Who, Sid? No. Oh, Sid did. You're sorry. Oh, no. not, Sid, not, not, Sid, yeah, Sid, sorry, Sid. Sid. I was thinking, did Judge yeah. Judge Judge uh, Judge Judy was on uh, WCW? <laughs> no, but Sid, of course, that makes sense. I remember so, no, obviously Sid Jones, in uh, WCW, yeah. Jones hadn't been featured from when Sid left up until this pay-per-view now right, okay. he's arriving to manage someone else. So when you said that, I thought, is this another like Lanny Poffo who's apparently on WCW payroll for <laughs> four years but never appeared? I wonder if it was one, one of those. Um, so basically, Tanaka ultimately hurled the guy over the back of the car as the crowd chanted to kick his ass or ass. And the guy said that the price he was going to pay would be awesome. A little uh, prelude to what we've got later on. And we cut inside. Oh, one, one other oh, sorry, thing, Mark, go ahead. Steve, uh, regarding Judge Jeff Jones, he's now yeah. um, AEW's social media guy. Is he really? How interesting. Yeah. 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 I wonder if he had the pleasure of meeting uh, like a 15-year-old Tony Khan at one of these live shows. So I know that he was yeah. uh, a lot of ECW shows back in the day. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps you should. I'll be, care, probably, I'll be careful. Go probably on. like the Fulham, Fulham new centre half. Yeah, I'm no, just about to make a joke about that. Jobs for the boys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we cut inside, and immediately the crowd is just. I mean, again, we talked about this in during the pandemic era. It's really, it's amazing seeing these crowds, but it's also quite tough knowing that you've got months ahead of nothing. But this crowd is beyond electric, and in ring we have Joey Styles and Cyrus, aka Don Callis. Um, the crowd suggested that Cyrus did something in his spare time that some people like and others don't. Uh, Mike, Mike, <laughs> who's Mike? We've got our fourth guest host, Mike, is here. Mark, <laughs> describe Cyrus's on-air role in the company this time. I guess this is before a lot of his stuff. So is this, is this his introduction here? Yeah, well, he was fairly new. He'd worked the previous pay-per-view. Uh, they were doing bi-monthly pay-per-views at this point. So right, back in okay. July, at, at the Heatwave show, I believe was when he started and he was the co-commentator to Joey Styles. Uh, that was only um, on the pay-per-views. He wasn't working on the TV shows other than the occasional backstage interview he'd conduct. And that was his only role. It, it was later on when the relationship between ECW and the TNN TV network became increasingly strained. He was then portrayed as being a TNN executive. And that's what got him over as the most hated man in the company when right, he would okay. do things like asking talent to tone down violence and bad language. And uh, obviously the crowd did not approve of, no. of that. Because what, Dan, did you, you may or may not know, what actually ended up happening is um, TNN did a deal with the WWF to get Raw across from USA Network and they kicked ECW off the air. I don't know how much... Co- oh, okay. When did when did um, Raw move to TNN? I can't remember. Was that 2000? Yeah. It was, yeah. The yeah. deal signed in 99 was a three-year deal, but there was an option for TNN to cancel without warning if and when they decided. Mm. Uh, so that sort of caught ECW unaware where they broke a deal with WWF less than a year into this three-year agreement. And um, yeah, by this time, a year later, WWF was on TNN and ECW yeah. was out in the cold. 
And they stuck around there for a long time and its, it's various incarnations became spiked before going back to USA, I think, in 2008. So it was just about eight years. Yeah, it's probably two cycles of four-year contracts, wasn't it, I guess? Um, Cyrus says, just a little precautionary measure before you and I have some intellectual intercourse. And Cyrus says he's the extreme intellectual and the greatest colour commentator in wrestling today. He says, not to worry about a thing because Cyrus is going to make him a star. Um, Styles says, in a company with no rules, in a promotion with no law and order, where chaos is the norm, tonight, anarchy rules. And the crowd absolutely erupts. And I just thought, to go back in time and be at one of these shows, shows in the flesh, Dan, what did you think of this, uh, this opening here? Yeah, I mean, just yeah, a couple of points. Uh, so Mark might be able to talk me through as well. First of all, I looked at the, the crowd, right? So one of the things, I, I always knew ECW to be not just the EC dub chant, which is quite... in. I'm, I've written here inventive crowd chants. Now, I'm not saying that the one you described earlier on to, to Cyrus was, was inventive, but um, it was surprising, yeah. but then I suppose yeah, it shouldn't did, have been, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, I, I just think with the crowd there, I mean, it said that the venue was Villa Park, and uh, um, you know, nice as possible, the crowd did look like they were straight out of Birmingham. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow, uh, yeah, <laughs> but, I, but I must admit, um, I, I, I was also looking at just an, again another observation was about the um, about the ring actually, and uh, um, that I've AEW at uh, Daly's place, the walkway goes straight into the ring. Oh, yes. Yeah. And there's a lot of things on here, which I'll mention as we go, that obviously I'm not, <laughs> that I maybe thought that maybe AEW had come up with. Okay. That yeah. I'm now realising, no, they didn't. Um, <laughs> and this is one. So the walkway goes straight in. And yeah. was that like that for every event or was that a pay-per-view? Uh, I don't know, thing? Mark. Do you, uh, it wasn't think, at the I arena, most, was it? But No, and... Not every pay-per-view. I'm just trying to think back through each individual one, but certainly around this time, they'd done a few in a row with that. It was something I, I first saw it on old WCW shows yeah. in the early 90s. They'd do okay. uh, that with the ramp. And um, yeah, I, I, I put in my comments, that's one of the things I like the look of it. In a small, dark arena, to have the wrestlers walking high up like that, it, it makes for a good visual. I don't yeah, and, it, adds, and it, it, it adds as well, doesn't it, to the sort of, it's, it's something slightly different when you're taking it out of the ring. Yeah, I think I'm it just, just gives a different option. Have the WWF ever done that? I can't think that they've ever they've ever had a, a stage directly into the directly into the no, ring. I, I, I can't think of anything. No, I can't think so. Obviously, because clearly that's the thing that Vince doesn't doesn't like. Um, yeah, but I mean, Dan, any, anything more to to add on this? Uh, you know, uh, so, this, yeah, this no, first so, bit. No, so the, I, I guess the other the other thing for me was obviously Joey Styles. Um, sort of seemed to have like seemed to sort of come into his own a little bit whereas when I knew him from later on I don't know he seemed a bit of a I don't know like quite low down the pecking order yeah you, you sort of disregarded him yeah I think you're you I, it depends I guess 2006 he was he was quite heavily involved in in Raw and yeah I suppose it was 2006 wasn't it but he the, the problem is and I was just I reading think this, it was Sorry, I think Mark, 2005 he worked on Raw and then yeah. he quit Raw literally the week before ECW was relaunched in 2006 so that he could become their commentator. Right, so okay. he'd already been on Raw the year previous, I think. Because the thing with that is, and I've just been reading this in Jim Ross's second book, which I highly recommend, but uh, Mick Foley, Taz, Jim Ross himself, Vince McMahon would literally be screaming in your ear as your com- as commentator like saying those horrible things, like questioning your work, all this sort of stuff. And it's just like, you can't, it's not surprising that Joey Styles in WWE Joey Styles wasn't ECW Joey Styles, where 
I doubt he probably had any production whatsoever. Maybe maybe the odd thing from Heyman in his ear to push storylines and stuff, but certainly not you know being slagged off from start to finish. Um, yeah, I just thought I just thought he cut it like he was quite actually as a two. Mm. I think they were quite good. I thought like, they were really good. Yeah, a couple of like there was there was a, a lot of quite good intellectual intercourse. Yes, absolutely. I mean, Don, Don Callis has done some some exceptional stuff in, in New Japan with Kevin Kelly um, in later years as well. I think, is he Booker in TNA now or Impact, I think? Um, I think he's uh, he's really high up, like executive yeah. vice president, I think, of Impact. He went yeah. in as Booker and I think he's climbed even higher now, yeah. Wow. Um, so we get the classic ECW music in the background and a montage of the opening sequences here. So in ring first, we have Lance Storm accompanied by the lovely Dawn Marie, kids out all in white. And herein lies the first problem with ECW on the network. ECW, much like Mid-South, is very liberal in their use of copyrighted music. And as such, Lance's music was overdubbed. I suspect, Mark, you probably watched this the original, didn't you, on, on a DVD did, or yeah. tape? Yeah, I dug out the, the DVD because that, that was a selling point for me back yeah. in the day of hearing that there was, it introduced me to a lot of bands I'd never heard before mm. just from entrance music. Cause they were quite cutting edge with that. And, um, yeah, Lance Storm came out to a white zombie song. Did he? I did have it. I, once I watched this, I did remember that I did have, I probably had about six or seven ECW pay-per-views on VHS that were, so, I think long since gone. I think maybe gone in 2003, 2004 when I was, when we were moving to DVD, but I never bought them on DVD, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, it's a real shame that the music doesn't exist, but it, um, I, I think actually as a whole, the show wasn't as damaged as I thought it would be without that, but obviously it's a big, a big thing. Um, and Joey Styles says again, that it's the largest crowd they've ever seen ECW live. Um, the crowd asks for Dawn Marie to show them something and then out comes Storm's opponent, the new effing show, Jerry Lynn. So Mark, give us a bit of background about these two heading into this match. Um, yeah, the, it, there was an excellent um, match between Jerry Lynn and Rob Van Dam on the TNN show, literally nine days before this pay-per-view, which ended with an impact players running. Um, Lynn was then booked to challenge RVD in a rematch and this is two days before the pay-per-view because, as we'll discuss as it goes on, even though they had two months before pay-per-views, the, the were building towards big matches was not one of the something they did uh, very well at this point, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, so literally two days before the pay-per-view, Jerry Lynn was attacked and rushed to hospital. So Lance Storm was conveniently in his gear, ready to step in. And uh, that's why Jerry Lynn had his ribs taped in this match. And okay. uh, that was that was how the match came about, basically, with it with a couple of days to spare. Um, Lance Storm robbed him of his match with RVD, and this was uh, the thing uh, that yeah. came from that. The new effing show nickname, in case you were wondering, um, Rob Van Dam had the whole effing show nickname for a, for a couple of years at this point, and it was earlier in the year he had a series of matches with Jerry Lynn on pay per view, which were really really good and. Jerry took on the nickname, he's the new effing show. So this is pre-Van Damme's leg injury and him dropping the world television title up. Yes, he was, yeah. he was in the middle of a two-year TV title reign. Right, where, okay. Uh, he held it from the start to the end of 1999 as part of that run. So the ring announcer um, says that Lance Storm is accompanied by his own personal bitch, Dawn Marie. Uh, and I thought, wow, this show really is 21 years old, they would say that. 
And Cyrus on commentary says that he, she is proud of that title and she does seem to be happy about it. She is all smiles. Um, Styles adds that this is the first time an ECW pay-per-view has ever been broadcast in Canada. And Cyrus adds that they actually want him to run for prime minister there and save the country. Um, there's a superstar in this one and the commentators speculate that both men are so evenly matched it's going to be the intangible that separates them. And Joey speculates that it's the fake breasts at ringside that will be the difference. Dawn Marie will get involved. Cyrus then questions whether or not they are fake and Joey adds he didn't think there was a real pair in the industry. Wow. Um, Storm hit his incredible dropkick and Cyrus talks about his accomplishments playing volleyball and also that he was an incredible 100-metre sprinter. Uh, the crowd starts the first chant of the night where they speculate that Dawn Marie might enjoy a certain type of drug and also further speculation on her profession. Cyrus mishears and says hilariously they're chanting, she's a great girl. Um, this was <laughs> really, really enjoyable. I thought this was superb, this match. This, this was, you could have dropped this out of then and put it straight into any time. Um, the finish came in 1638 with a three-quarter Nelson Cradle. Um, and I haven't written the winner. Uh, Lance Storm beat Joe Lynn, didn't he hear? Yeah, yeah, quite. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't buy the one. Yeah, go on, great review. Who won? No idea. Uh, Dan, first, what did you think of this match? Okay, so a few thoughts on the match. You've gone through all the crowd chants. I wrote all three of them down. Absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, just for me personally, so <clears throat> first time I'd actually heard of Lynn. So it was the opening match on a pay per view I hadn't seen before. I had very limited expectations. Um, and I thought it was, I loved it. Yeah, I actually it watched this match twice. I thought it was brilliant. Okay, yeah. It was really good this match, yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I've got quite a lot of things in it. I mean, yeah, say, um, I actually, actually, this, this, there's a bit of commentary Cyrus said that led me to make a few additional notes throughout the show, which was he mentioned that, and I wonder they're happy, they, they only get paid to work six times a year, he mentioned. Um, oh, okay. Uh, he I, does. He, he, yeah, yeah, he works six yeah. Times, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. So then I just started sort of the thought of, I wonder, sort of a bit of where is everyone or what did everyone do when this sort of, because in essence, two years later or whatever it was, there was, it was gone. Yeah, um, less than two, 18 so months. So I started yeah. making a little, I just sort of slowly searched everyone over the last sort of week or so, been really busy on, uh, <laughs> on Wikipedia. Um, so I'll sort of add them little bits here and there when I think that's something of interest um, if to, that I found interesting, should we say, because I might have missed some and I'm sure Mark might probably know. I mean, I did see that Jerry Lynn is now an AEW coach and producer. Mm. I did see that. So I'm sure, yeah, Mark will probably know a bit more about that. Um, Obviously, the first chance of Jerry, 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 which was inevitable. I'd imagine yes. that was at its peak at that time. Jerry oh, Springer. yeah, big time in 1990. Um, I really enjoyed it. The match itself, there was a, like a little pin medley. Yes, that was superb. That was yeah, absolutely yeah. brilliant. Absolutely that was brilliant. Yeah. so good. Um, and that goes back to my initial point at the start of this when I said about how I used to view this sort of wrestling as you got average wrestlers and you tried to make it entertaining. I'm watching hardcore stuff happen, but then actual quality stuff like that was just brilliant. That was proper yeah. wrestling. Um, really like that. Also that Dawn Marie, it's a classic valet. Like, like you get the sort of valets or managers now. And I, I wonder what they do. You've got like Arn Anderson in AEW that just looks at his clipboard or whatever. She was constantly looking to get involved. And I like, yeah. just do, you know, she threw a chair at the ref. She like put uh Storm's foot on the rope um, brilliant I said there's a lot of moves I hadn't seen before or have recently seen again I go back to saying I thought that AEW had, you know someone there had come up with them or whatever mm. um, 
I'll say the the only, I guess the only thing that I was a bit like, oh no. The only thing I was like that was was that the ending was a roll up after all of them like great moves and after a great match it was a roll up. I, yeah, like, I like that. <laughs> so, yeah, but again, I guess it's proper wrestling. But yeah, that bit I was a bit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see that. I, I want to hear a lot from Mark about the whole event, but certainly his views on this match. Yeah, what did you think of this one, Mark? And I've got a question for you following that, uh, but I'll hear your thoughts first. Well, first of all. I want to talk about Dawn Marie as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> her being the sort of, it was a ditzy airhead type character she played where whenever Storm would do his serious promos and stuff, she'd be stood smiling and posing behind him and everything. And she was very good at sort of making you look at her, but not to the point where you weren't listening to Lance. She'd got yeah. that balance just right uh, all the time. Uh, I was impressed with that. And, and, um, and then um, the, the ring announcer saying Lance Storm is accompanied to the ring by his own personal bitch, Don Marie. Uh, that's a reference to her feud earlier in the year with Sonny when she was there. Um, she obviously, WWE had the rights to the name Sonny, so she went under her real name of Tammy Lynn Sitch. Ah, and okay, Dawn, yes. And uh, she suddenly became Don Marie Bitch to go up against Tammy Lynn Sitch. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, this. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. And so Joey had have to crowbar into the commentary each time. That's bitch B Y T C H, as if to say, you know, <laughs> she's not a real bitch. It's just a name. Uh, that was how that all came about. And then uh, the commentary, I, I always loved Cyrus would put over his ve- fellow Canadian Lance Storm huge whenever he had opportunity. And there was that beautiful drop kick mid match that you mentioned, Steve. Um, and Cyrus went into his accomplishments saying Storm has an amazing 40-inch vertical leap after he was a volleyball star at the University of Waterloo, and that that made it sound good. Um, I mean, right from the beautiful opening sequence to start the pay-per-view with catches, catch-can takedowns, leapfrogs, headlocks, counters, the crowd went wild for it, and that just started off the pay-per-view the perfect way for me. Um, And then it, it went through to that series of I believe it was 10 consecutive two counts which you mentioned yeah um it later became known I think on the indies as the Jerry Lynn spot and by the mid-2000s everyone was doing it Mm. sort of almost move for move and um once you saw it every show you knew there wasn't going to be any three counts in there so the fact that shortly afterwards there was a sudden um I think it was a three-quarter Nelson storm used to pin Jerry uh I thought that made the two counts leading up to it more valuable knowing that it didn't have to be a big finishing move to finish the match it could yeah. finish any time and either of them could have uh, could have got it and it was Lance that got the win I think you're going to be disgusted with the answer to my next question um, but I looked this up what do you think Meltzer gave this in the Observer oh, dear me. I've been um, I've set you up a little bit there less, yeah I'd say uh, you've t- less than yeah. four I'd say 3.25 the man, the man doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, I you no. Know, I said to I said to Charlotte occasionally has the misfortune of hearing me listen to <laughs> Uncle Dave in the car when I picked it up from somewhere, and I just said to her, just, oh, "I'm really sick of Dave Meltzer at the moment. I just can't listen to him anymore. Like, I just need to. I need a bit of a break from his voice. I've been listening to a lot of quite quickly Kevin and stuff, but stuff like that, I just I find that really frustrating because I don't see how anyone could possibly give this." 3.25 and I've seen some I've seen every match that he's given five stars to 
apart from the odd one that's not, maybe two or three that aren't available. I'm telling you, this is this is just as good as some of those PWG matches at 15 minutes, and they're just they ultra spot fest. I mean, this is just as good. So yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not having this as anything less than four, if not more than that. Especially when he gives that that young bucks and uh, Phoenix and Pentagon five stars, and it's or whatever it was, five and a half, six stars is the best ladder match in history. I'm not having it, Dave Meltzer. Um, so I've got so annoyed by that, I've lost my place in my notes. So just, just quickly, uh, just quickly, a point yeah, I was going to add was the ref in that match, and he comes back later has such a fast free count. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you you have got to be on your toes to be kicking out in time. I tell mm. you, it is. And I notice he comes back later because I just see a change in the counts. I'm like, whoa, is yeah, he was. You've got to be quick. Yeah, I know, I know, I know exactly what you mean, and I, I quite like that because I think he he kept he kept it up, and I think those fast those fast paced counts really worked during that you know that pinfall back and forth. Yeah, so if, I thought if that you was keep really it good. consistent. If you mm. keep it consistent all the way through, it doesn't matter how fast it is. It's when it changes, that's when you've got a problem. Yeah, exactly. Doing some fast and some slow. Exactly. Uh, next up, we had Simon Diamond coming out and Diamond got on the crowd and said that he had a problem. He, doing a third-person Simon Says gimmick, says Simon does not suck. The crowd then also suggests that he might like to do the same thing they said about Cyrus Alleyon. Again, that some likes to do and some others don't. Um, he asked Tom Marquez from the House of Harcourt School at Ringside to be his partner, his taxi partner, but then says, you know the rules. He didn't say Simon Says. Um, so, and so he asked him to sit back down again and poor old Tom was dejected. Simon adds, there are no men in the back who want to be his partner. And this brought out Jazz. Simon says he didn't ask for a woman. Jazz says she's out there to prove herself. Simon says that if, a, if women have proved anything in this business, it's that they're worthless and only there for TNA. And this gets a positive reaction from the Chicago crowd. Um, ultimately, this led to Marquez versus Jazz for just under a minute and ended when Jazz came back with a groin claw and a Jazz stinger, which is basically an X factor, before Diamond and Tony DeVito interfered for the no contest. Um, Nova and Chris Chetty made the save. This all felt a little bit out of place um, after an excellent opening match. Um, and then this merge into Nova and Chris Chetty versus Diamond and Tony DeVito, which is a, which is quite a normal. ECW used to do this quite a lot, Mark, didn't they? In terms of matches merging into sort of something else, I suppose. Yeah, it was it was getting a number of people on the show in a short period of time, and usually yeah. it finished with a real superstar coming out and clearing house in one way yes. or another, which is what happened here. Yes, and Chris Chetty hit a, moon, a lion saw early on in this, which she seemed to land okay, um, but was down in the corner for a while and then on the outside. And according to the September 30th Wrestling Observer newsletter from our favourite, uh, Mr. Dave Meltzer, um, said that Chetty injured himself and it may have been seriously doing a moonsault and temporarily lost all feeling in his legs when his back went out. Um, and similar to a scary situation he had not all that long ago, a house show. Apparently, he was in a lot of pain. This injury was said to be more serious than the first one. Um, he has movement of feeling in his legs after initial numbness and was scheduled to undergo an MRI this week. Um, and the explanation given was that the match fell apart because everyone panicked since whatever Chetty was supposed to do wasn't going to happen. Um, so this looked pretty innocuous. Did you, did you, did either you, um, Dan, you first, did you spot this in terms of? No, I didn't see that. No. Yeah. I mean... I'll shoot Mark. Did you, I'll shoot Mark myself. Yeah, I've heard I did that. actually. Yeah, as he as he went up to do the lion salt, his left leg sort of skidded or slipped in some way right before he jumped towards the ropes. And I think he hit the lion salt perfectly. But as soon as he'd hit the mat, he rolled up into the fetal position and got in the corner. Yeah. So I think wow. that little tiny slip as he was just jumping off, uh, I think that's what must have done it. It's quite incredible that he managed to get 
get round really and get the, get the moonsault landed because he could have been in even. I mean, that who was the, there was a, there was a Japanese wrestler that was paralysed and that wasn't it. I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, Hayabusa, yeah. Hayabusa, yeah, on a lion saw, wasn't it? So yeah, it, good that he managed to get round, but landed quite a serious situation. Head, yeah. yeah. Um, back in ring, Devito completely botched an Uranagi, which the crowd booed big for, um, before ultimately Roadkill and Danny Doring interfered. And Roadkill and Doring broke out the old heart attack move that I liked on Jazz and um, was going for a splash until C.W. Anderson and others came out. There was a big brawl before New Jack came out and cleaned house. Um, and then, as I say this, there's an ant calling across my computer screen, which is I'm going to try and catch and release. Um, and then New Jack came out, a clean house, including a shot with a computer keyboard, a pull cue to the balls via a road sign, and finishing with three staple guns to the head of Price and a guitar shot. Um, so, Mark, any thoughts on this? Uh, any background on this collection of characters you'd like to add? Um, clearly, obviously, with New Jack being the biggest star of the bunch. Um, well, the, everything you just mentioned, I've got sort of four pages of notes on, so I'll try and <laughs> just skim through, and I won't, I won't go That's on too an long. Impressive um, amount of notes there. <laughs> Going back to Simon really stressed that no man in the back is man enough to be his partner. That was sort of predictably brought out a woman. That was yes. uh, Jazzy's entrance there. Um, and uh, it, after the uh, women being worthless and just TNA line, he continued, uh, so take your flat chest, your ghetto booty, and your dollar ninety nine hair wave. And that's when Jazz attacked him. So that was uh, an interesting uh, setup. And... Uh, yeah, there were Nova and Chetty ran out to a brilliant song, Intergalactic by the Beastie Boys, which you won't hear on the network. Um, that was another one. They they were gaining a lot of momentum around this time, the Nova and Chetty tag team, and they went on to big things afterwards once Chetty had recovered from this injury. I believe he missed three or four months returning at the January pay-per-view from the knee injury. Oh, so he was out um, quite a while then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, it was some kind of surgery needed on that. Um, and yeah, I've made a note in my comments, which you said uh, Meltzer had mentioned in the in the newsletter there that Nova sort of cleaned house and it was going well, but then it seemed a while like all three guys not, weren't sure what to do next. Like um, I'm sure Chetty will have had some spots planned that he was missing, and the other three didn't know how to adapt from there. Maybe I don't know, mm. but um, yeah, I noticed the uh, mistimed Yorinagi by Tony DeVito, which led to the first. Um, chant of the evening along the lines of you made a mistake you made a yes. mistake and um, did you notice um, Roadkill and Danny Doring's valet when she was there with him was that uh, Lita that was Lita yeah oh Miss I Congeniality. didn't notice that actually yeah yeah yeah. Uh, Miss Congeniality yeah yeah absolutely so she I guess she wasn't she wasn't probably too long for ECW at that point was she because she when did she debut with SA she debuted Rios? on TV in January 2000 so three months okay. after this I don't know how long from there, she'd gone from here to start with WWE, but she was already on TV by January. Mm, interesting. Yeah, so that's, that's. Um, I mean, obviously there's a big, you know, big group of people here. What, what about New Jack in terms of his, you know, his his impact? And because, again, uh, quite a controversial character, him and some, some various incidents that he was involved in over the years. Yeah, that accounts for a page and a half of my notes. So I'll, yeah. I'll miss out sort of New Jack's previous indiscretions. Um he came out to the song Natural Born Killers by Dr. Dre and Ice Cube, which is mm. outstanding. And um, what I liked about uh, when he'd come out with weapons, Dan was saying earlier about the WWE's hardcore division. It was all sort of formulaic. They'd come out with dustbin lids, chairs, 
hit each other with them a few times until some guy got the pin. But I liked how the, there didn't seem to be any pattern um, to what was in New Jack's trash can. Uh, he was swinging computer keyboards, like you said. He had a pull cue there, a street sign. It was genuinely as though he'd gone out with a trash can, picked up some stuff outside the arena. And I thought that was a bit more a bit more realism with that. I quite liked it. And um, his uh, staple gun to the forehead led to Rod Price being the first wrestler of the night to start bleeding. Uh, not as much as some of the guys later in the show. Yes, yeah. And um, and then finally, he ended the um, the brawl with a guitar shot to the head, which obviously we've seen a million times with Jeff Jarrett, Honky Tonk Man, etc. But I think it was New Jack who come up with the idea of adding, he must have inserted some kind of powder into the guitar so it explodes on impact and there's a big uh, smoky cloud. Yeah, that, that was always excellent. really Simple, good. Simple, yeah. but brilliant idea. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was always always really, really good with him. And obviously New Jack was was quite a, a heavy part of the uh, documentary behind behind the mat. Yeah, behind the I was thinking behind the music, the man, mat. but beyond the mat. Crikey, I can't believe I got that one. I was I was merging beyond the mat with uh, VH1's behind the music there, which is uh, not quite the same thing. But yeah, he was um he was quite a you know an involved part in, uh, of that of that as well, which I'm sure increased his you know his stardom no end. But he's did he get into trouble fairly recently for something? Oh no, he had a, he was uh, on Dark Side of the Ring, wasn't he? The new, new they, Jack. They did a whole episode on him because yeah, of yeah. the various things. I believe he's ended up in court on various serious charges just based on what he's done inside a wrestling match, uh, at least two or three occasions. And wow. um, yeah, so he's 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 been in, he's had some runnings over the years. But uh, the issue with New Jack, in in my opinion, is. Um, it depends if you listen to his stories or if you listen to what other people say about him. There's two very conflicting sides there. I think a lot of it is just self-promotion and and a lot of that in Beyond the Mat, there was no sort of um, basis for truth there. He he said he'd uh, got, I believe, three, what was the term he used? Oh, justifiable homicides. Justifiable homicides, yeah. yeah. And uh, there's no record of, of him working for any bounty hunter agencies anywhere. It's just, you know, something, gimmick, something he yeah. tells people. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Dan, any thoughts on this? Uh, you know, big melee and short tag team yeah. match and the thing afterwards. There's all sorts. I mean, um, yeah, most of it you've sort of all, all said now. It was the testicular claw. Oh, was it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> which then gives, which then uh, scrambled his eggs apparently as well. So oh wow! Nice. Different. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I picked up a lot of the same stuff. I mean, roadkill and um, is it Dorian? Oh yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> Who are these guys? This <laughs> one's on our Amish, isn't he? Right, coming out. Um, yeah, and then, like to me originally, I just looked at it. It looked like they were all coming out to save Jazz. That's how it looked to me. Something like the backstory. And next thing, they're all just beating each other up. Uh, I was just like, what is going on? I lost track of... I was trying to work out who, you know, the heel and the faces, etc. Um, just, I guess, a quick question. Tom Marquez, um, who, on my search of where are they now, etc., or what do they do, he's one of the few without a Wikipedia page, so therefore you struggle to find anything out about the fella. But I noticed he had a um, T-shirt on. I just wondered if Mark knew. It, it looked to me like it was an anti-WWF talk. So I think one bit said, no corporate, and then I missed it, and no Monday night and something else, and I wondered what that was. I totally missed that. I didn't notice yeah, that. Yeah, so like, I thought no, it must be yeah. an anti-WWF top. I thought it was quite um, And, yeah, I mean, for me, New Jack coming out, the music carrying on playing, that is, I love that. Uh, and, um, 
yeah, and uh, you know, the original gangster. You know, there's me thinking, oh, how many wrestling tops have I owned in my life? And it turns out, I think I had a two-pack one once. So maybe I also, in theory, had a new Jack top as well. He loved that he's just won a two-pack top. Brilliant. Um, and I must admit, when he brought that bin out, all I could think about at the time was Steve behind his sofa going, no, nah, there's no need for this. This is unnecessary. <laughs> this is unnecessary. Really getting his wrestling PFA. Yeah, the thing is, on. you know what? We didn't know then. I know, I know perhaps people might think, um, well, it was stupid to think, to not know that if you get smacked over the head with something. But I remember we watched uh, Beyond the Mat rather than Behind the Mat, and we saw the Mick Foley thing where he got battered over the head with a lot of chair shots and spit out of it. But we were all like, oh, crikey, that's terrible. But it wasn't like, oh, crikey, that's terrible. This guy's going to get like Alzheimer's and, and might c- kill himself or kill somebody else because his brain's so injured. It was just like, you know, it's probably not all that sensible. But it's, it's totally different watching this stuff with... You know, I, I, you know, it just is what it is, isn't it, Mark? Do, do, do you sort of feel the same way about that sort of stuff now? It's, it's just, it's just a different time now, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I was like you. I, I thought at the time. I mean, that he's going to have a serious headache, and yeah, mm. he, he might miss a few shows with getting those things. But I, we, we didn't know anything about lasting long-term yeah. effects of you know chair shots. It, it was what it was, and it, and from when before we had started watching wrestling, it had all, it had always happened. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there were blood and guts promotions. Do you know what I found out? And I talked about this with Phil yesterday. Apparently in the 30s in the UK, hardcore wrestling with weapons was a real big thing here in the UK and it was and it got banned. And as a result of that, um, they brought out a new set of rules for uh, basically what the, what became sort of world of sport and all that sort of stuff with the rounds and the holds that were banned and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, this stuff, you know, weapon-based, you know, uh, uh, predetermined wrestling has been around for like over a hundred years or hundred years really. So yeah, it's not anything anything new. Um, so I, after, I, I also sorry, sorry just, I, I also found out on that that Chris Chetty was a holder of uh, Taz's FTW Championship. Oh, this must have been later, was it? When was that? Two thousand and two, apparently. Oh wow, okay. Because so, was Chris yeah. Chetty's cousin. Yeah, he was. They were cousins. I, I imagine he. He took ownership of the belt. I don't, yeah. I don't remember him winning any matches. No, as I'm learning from AEW, you just, you just say you just say you are it, and then you are it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm annoyed. I think I could have gotten there earlier than than Brian Cage. He, I would he, be it now. I didn't realise he didn't wrestle yeah. a great a great deal more after ECW went under. The occasional um, indie shot and the ECW reunion shows around 2005, and I believe I read one 2013 match where he teamed up with Nova again and that was it wow. so literally like a dozen matches since ECW ended mm, and he was only a young guy I think here he's 25 in this wow time. okay I mean what I can't I can't even really picture Chris Chetty but I guess it's just whether we didn't get the opportunities or for whatever reason yeah that's that is weird because most people got a run somewhere didn't they so um, after such a great start I thought this was a little bit of a downer but the crowd ultimately got what they wanted and that was a new Jack appearance which they ate up um, albeit it felt like it went on for quite a while but I suspect that was probably more to do with the, the, the stock music than the actual stuff I think it's been a lot better with his actual music um, was Don Callis wearing a jewel on his forehead at the start of the show because he, he, he yeah. showed him with my, yeah. it was was he okay right I didn't spot that stuff but it was when they cut think, backstage I don't know the specifics but I think there was a famous cult leader from from some point in history maybe David Koresh at Waco something like that he ah. used to wear one just like um, Cyrus and that had carried over from when he was in WWF he was a manager there 
and he came up with his own sort of gimmick of being a cult leader rather than just a manager. Mm. And ultimately, the reason he got let go from WWF, according to a few sources, is because he was very good at getting himself over, but not so good at getting the people he was managing yeah. over. So that was, was that the Truth Commission that he was involved in? Yeah, he started with them, and then when that didn't pan out, um, he went on to the oddities. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. With the Giants and everyone else, he managed those until they turned babyface. So next up, we have Little Guido, who was out to some really bizarre music. Um, he'll be going up against Yoshihiro Tajiri and Super Crazy in a three-way dance. Um, so Mark, give us a little bit of background on these three guys. Uh, well, on the DVD version, Little Guido was out to the dance classic, Staying Alive. Oh, uh, was he? <laughs> uh, that was the full-blooded Italian's theme song for a lot of years. And uh, I believe Tracy Smothers still uses it uh, to this day. as oh, his entrance great. music. Um, as far as how the match came about, uh, Tajiri and Super Crazy had been wrestling each other in Mexico and in ECW for a couple of years at this point, I think. And it was, you were always guaranteed a great match. It was like a few years earlier where Rey Mysterio and Psychosis had just had rematch after rematch and there was something different each time. It was really, really good. And then during the course of things, obviously to freshen it up, uh, little Guido got introduced, being in a similar size and shape as those guys they each had a singles pay-per-view match against Little Guido. And then, obviously, the thought at this point, freshen things up again, let's have a three-way with all three in the ring at the same time. So that's how the match came about. Excellent. So Cyrus on commentary says he's fluent in many language and is a cunning linguist. Uh, sometimes the old ones are still the best. Um, some highlights in this. Super crazy hit, an incredible-looking acai moonsault from the top rope over the guardrail onto both uh, Guido and Tajiri. Um, Big Sal was also deposited through a table at ringside. Um, Tajiri also did a phenomenal reversal to get crazy in the tarantula submission before Guido broke it up. Um, and again, the crowd was massively into this one. Um, crazy pinned Guido in 9-18 to leave it one-on-one for the match between Tajiri and Crazy. Um, strangely, the crowd seemed to die a little bit after the fall, um, and they stalled a little bit too long for my liking before getting back into it. And um, Crazy hit a lovely outside uh, outside in Asai moonsault for a near fall. Um, Crazy did the classic punch spot in the corner as the crowd chanted along in Spanish. Um, Crazy and Tajiri did one big move after another, um, ending with Crazy going from, from his three-rope moonsault, um, but Tajiri got the knees up on the second one. Tajiri hit a low drop kick and a brain buster for the win in 14.38. Um, I like this quite a lot, albeit a tiny bit behind the first match. Um, Dan, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I, I, yeah, a little bit behind the first match, but I thought this was great. I really enjoyed this. Um, look at like Tajiri comes out. I'm thinking about WWF Tajiri, who mm. I'm thinking was a bit of a joke act. Um, and to me, this showed that he, well, he wasn't. I, I just thought it was really good. I mean, the, it makes sense that that entrance music wasn't right because if you watch that on the network, what little Guido walks out to is just ridiculous. Yeah, it it's is. Not even, it is like ridiculous. Earlier on when you told me that they weren't the real, like the music wasn't real, I didn't really know. That mm. I, I, I was, this, it just doesn't make sense. It's like a stop music on a keyboard or something, wasn't it? Was it? Like a, you just play the most ridiculous song you um, can find. Uh, it is one of the first matches where I've made a note of a couple of the crowds, well, one of the crowd signs. Okay. I quite like some of the crowd signs. This one was just Delahoya was robbed. Okay. Um, so I had a little look. Um, and the night before, Delahoya lost to Felix Trinidad. Okay. And it was billed as the fight of the millennium. There was 1.4 million buyers for that wow. fight. Wow, that's huge. And, then, yeah. and for, it was the record for a non-heavyweight 
until okay. 2007. And what was that, Delahoya and Mayweather? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's amazing, isn't it? Mad. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was a little bit of a boxing history there. Um, I like that uh, was the first sort of idea that if you were in the first row at an ECW event, you're you're involved. Yes. I mean, yeah. they cleared that audience. Uh, a couple of audience members I'd already noticed. One guy had green hair, and the other one had a motorcycle helmet on. I've been what I couldn't. They were annoying me in the way because I was like, you know, you know, you're going to get on, and you really <laughs> stood out, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I mean, I appreciate Steve. I've seen pictures of you where you where you bring a sign with just your name and an arrow to your head, <laughs> but you know, if you'd have gone for green hair or motor helmet, I don't know. But um, I quite liked um, Super Crazy's reverse surfboard. Yeah, uh, and then yeah. into the bow and arrow. I really like that actually. Um, I also quite like that they said when Tajiri was in these moves, they said he can't tap and he also can't speak English. To give oh up. my god, I forgot. I missed that. Yeah, I forgot. I, re- no, I didn't miss it. I remember that. Yeah, yeah that was. Uh, then they talked about the referee knew Japanese, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And that's yeah. It's a, oh, that was brilliant. Um, it, it really did feel like the, the guys were, and the guys weren't unprofessional in commentary, but it did, did, did feel like they were having a great time. It reminded oh, me yeah. a lot of ways of like old Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. It's just like go out there, be entertaining, you're off the, off the leash and just do it. And I thought they were really good fun. Yeah, yeah it, I was mean, a, it was a yeah. theme uh, for, a, for a lot of, for, throughout this period, there was times Cyrus had always made comments to Joey, like, you're doing great, kid, and all that, even yeah, though Joey yeah. had been doing it for years and Cyrus was the newcomer. It was actually- <laughs> yeah. Well, I think earlier on, I think we, we were possibly, there was a bit where Cyrus was saying, you're doing really well, where we are happy with you. It was just like, <laughs> and he goes, what are you talking about? And he's, I think he said, Oh, you weren't at the meeting. And he was just like, there wasn't a meeting. I love that. <laughs> You're right. It's like, do you know, because even I, I used to remember getting quite frustrated with uh, JR and Jerry the King because they sort of done it like a bit like when, you know, when you're listening to talk sport or, you know, the radio show and you know that the person is giving a, the, like, they don't really think that, but they're the trying to you rule, Like a bit Simon yeah, Jordan. No matter what, yeah. You, yeah. Do you want people to ring up or whatever? And I always yeah. used to think JR was himself and like Jerry the King would be saying it just for the sake of it didn't really have any whereas this they were they were disagreeing but I don't know it just worked it was like, nat- they had great chemistry natural. yeah really I really good, thought yeah, it was good, really good. Really um, good. the other thing was the only other thing I had I do agree with you after the first elimination it went a little bit flat um, I like the brain buster finish that is a move that I think ah yeah that would probably mm. knock you out um, but I have looked on the internet and Mark if you know this this might not be an ECW question I don't know what your language skills are like but Raza Azteca. I cannot find out what that means. Raza is um, something to have life, isn't it? I think. Uh, no, it's And Azteca is a horse. Oh, nation. Okay. Yeah. But I think Aztec is a sort of a culture as well. It's the Aztec nation, basically. Aztec That's nation. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Okay. Is that Spanish? It's a type of horse. Spanish, I saw that as well. Yeah, it's a type yeah. of Oh, you have to look. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad it went for sure. Yeah. That was, <laughs> I was blowing my mind. And uh, given uh, my. Uh, professional role i should be able to bit know a bit more spanish but i don't but uh, yeah <laughs> right. um so yeah no but again i thought it was yeah i thought it was really good actually. yeah I thought it was and really good. um I'd, I'd just be quite keen to hear mark's views on I, I think all three of these wrestlers went competed in a wwf um and from what i remember of all three they were bit part fillers you know send them out give a little bit of entertainment whereas this showed you start to think, God, what could have been? You could have really, they could have really done well because yeah. this was excellent. And be interesting to hear Mark's view on 
where how it, you saw them change between the two and, you know, how, yeah, I mean, wh- why you think that was? Or the, These three, it scratches the surface really. Literally over 20 performers on this pay-per-view ended up getting WWE contracts. Most of them within two, three years of this event happening were already signed up to WWE. Uh, I think Tajiri had the most success there. He had the, originally came in and had the double act with Regal that was really good and they even held the tag team championships briefly. And he was in the cruiserweight division, won the cruiserweight title. Uh, little Guido under his name, Nunzio, he held the cruiserweight title as well. Uh, Super Crazy didn't come in again until the ECW reunion era, 2005. Uh, that's when he first went into WWE and, and he did all right. But yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying about they were all sort of undercard. They were never going to get pushed very much, very highly. Um, I think um, promo skills were obviously holding um, Tajiri and Super Crazy back. Their English wasn't great. So knowing how WWE looks at things like that, you know, if you're a big guy like that, you'll get a manager and on you go. But if you're a little guy, there's a role from you for you further down the card, I would say. Um, and yeah, Guido and Tajiri were the, with the company quite a long time. I think Guido ended up with um, seven years, I think, on WWE roster, which... For a guy who's five foot seven and less than two hundred pounds, I think he did. He really did better than uh, expect, expected. I would say. Did he? Re- did he do some refereeing in WWE? If I just if I dreamt that. I think he disappeared briefly and then came back as a referee. And yeah, certainly a, a year or so, maybe longer. Yeah, that, that yeah. was his new role in the company. It wasn't a storyline. It was just that was his new new role. Did he take his big mate with him? Sale, Sal, Sal no. Graziano, who, can I just clarify, when I searched him on the internet, um, didn't have a Wikipedia page, but when I put his name into Google, you know, it sort of does the most search things next. Um, it was Sal Graziano dash, is he still alive? And yeah. I clicked on a couple of links and it had, and as far as I can tell, people were, it was just a number of forums naming large wrestlers that had died. And it was linking through where people were, Going so, going, that's oh, a niche oh, website oh. right there, isn't it? Crikey. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> right, let me get this right. Let me go. They're wrestling forums where people had said so and so's died, i.e., a large wrestler. And the reason that was coming through on the Google was people going, R.I.P. Was he also Sal E. Graziano? And then oh, later right, on, someone, okay, yeah. someone going, No. So I think what happens is every time a large wrestler dies, people just go, Is that him? And then it's just confirmed just for no. So as far as as far as I can see, he's still alive, everyone. But next time a big guy goes down, when when I ask the question. <laughs> so, uh, Mark, anything more to add on uh, on that that match from Super Crazy Guido yeah. and? Uh... There was another good uh, crowd chant during this one, which Guido got quite a lot. Um, a chant of "Where's my pizza?" Mm. Um, he, he does look a bit like, uh, in theory, a stereotypical. Uh, pizza delivery guy, I guess, uh, with his Italian heritage heritage on top. Uh, and as Big Sal was fairly new at this point, I think by the following year, it became a dual enchant, which was, where's my pizza? Big Sal ate it. Yeah. Where's my pizza? <laughs> Big Sal ate it. Brilliant. Uh, that was a good one. And I mean, the match itself, I, I loved it as well. I would agree. It was slight, I'd put Storm and Lynn slightly ahead of it, but it was an excellent match. Um, I mean, Tajiri's, low drop kicks early on where he just drops kicks you in the kneecap and sends them flying they look so impactful I, I really like them uh, there was a point where Guido was pancaked over the top rope onto the hard wooden ramp and that looked like a really rough landing 
uh, face down on there. Uh, another good bit of Cyrus commentary at some point where he said, Tajiri doesn't wear kick pads unlike other Japanese wrestlers. So those stiff kicks where he connects with the shin bone that has been calcified and toughened over the years feel like you've been hit with a baseball bat. Mm. I just thought that was very creative way to, to sell how devastating his kicks were. Um, Big Sal got taken out of the match when Super Crazy drop-kicked him through off the apron through a table. And Joey Styles nonchalantly said, that table never stood a chance. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and then, again, at the double-team finish uh, to put Guido away, Cyrus said, I can't believe the two of them cut a deal. Most foreigners are diabolical. <laughs> and uh, Joey Styles said, that might be the most politically incorrect statement you've made. And Cyrus pleaded innocence by adding, I'm a foreigner too. Uh, yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, he got away with it. Um, so moving on from the September 30th, 1999 Wrestling Observer newsletter and the next segment went as follows. Steve Carino came out and said that the insane clown posse was going to be his mystery team to face Raven and Dreamer. He said that on Friday, Alex Abyss, the manager of ICP, called ECW and said that when they found out Raven and Dreamer were going to be their opponents, they informed ECW they weren't going to show up. Violent J actually appeared on Mark Madden's radio show in Pittsburgh that afternoon and said that they were going to jump from WCW to ECW. In fact, they had actually put it on their own website that they were leaving despite ECW attempting to keep quiet. But when they found out they were getting squashed in two minutes, they changed their mind. Carino said that he and Rhino would face Raven and Dreamer later in the show and really went to bury ICP. Styles kept it up saying that ICP was ready to jump from WCW to ECW without giving notice and that Bill, Bo- Bill Bush had fired them from WCW. So Mark, I know you're a big fan of Insane Cloud Posse. So what did you make of all this? And did you remember this at the time? Uh, yep. Uh, I've been a proud juggalo since 97. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, the, those behind the scenes details revealed are very interesting, but I don't think it was a big deal at the time because it wasn't like they'd been announced in advance. It was going to be a mm. surprise. So Carino said, oh, here's what the surprise was going to be, but it's not happening now, so here's the new plan. Styles reinforced it, but but that was as, as far as it went, really. And um, with, after weeks of Carino taunting Tommy Dreamer about being too old and broken down, it made more sense for him to be involved in the match anyway. So yeah. him and Rhino, I think, made a better choice of opponents. And and with all due respect to Violent J and Shaggy Tudo, they, they weren't exactly ratings winners on either show anyway and their bridge with WCW wasn't completely burned because they returned the following year in 2000 for another run uh, in which they memorably both got destroyed by Mike Awesome of all people okay Um, interesting that was some time between his fat chick thriller and that 70s guy gimmicks yeah what (laughs) Uh, both of which were even worse than the sound wow Um, so next up we have Justin Incredible whose name I always really liked and he'll be going up against Sabu Uh, Mark over to you some info on these two and also why don't you tell us a little bit about your trip um, to the Sabu show in the States when was that 2007 2004 ah I've got that way off Um, 2004 yeah, I mean, oh, the Sabu, same year. Sabu. I didn't realize that's the same year as we went to WrestleMania twenty. Cock out's expensive wrestling year for you. Yeah, that 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 was a that was a, yeah that didn't work out well for me. But um, <laughs> I mean, Sabu's one of my favourite wrestlers of all time for many reasons. Um, some of which we'll go into when we discuss the match itself. But um, that love I have for the guy led to me spending forty hours in a small town on the outskirts of Detroit just before Christmas that year. Uh, it was a benefit show to raise money for Sabu's medical bills because he broke his back. Mm. And uh, it was unlikely he was ever going to wrestle again. 
Um, so I felt an obligation to contribute in some way. Then when some of the names were announced to wrestle, included AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, Insane Clown Posse, and an ECW-style main event with Raven versus Shane Douglas with Mick Foley as guest referee, I just, uh, on a whim, bought a ticket and, uh, and went over for the weekend. So it was at a small country and western bar. It only had a capacity of maybe two, 300 people. So when the organisers saw one of those tickets was being sent all the way over to the UK, they actually got in touch with me by email saying Sabu wanted to meet me to say thanks personally, uh, which was nice. And when I got there, I was treated very well by the promoter, Scott Damore, who was yeah. involved in Team Canada and TNA. He's the one who, who put on the show. I uh, got a nice second row seat and I was told I should hang around after the show ends and I'll go backstage and meet Sabu. So... The matches were great. They had a big auction hosted by Jimmy Hart, which raised plenty more money. Uh, but hanging around after the show, everybody was too busy with various things and and I left without me in Sabu. Went back uh. to my hotel room. Uh, I was woken by the phone in my room ringing at three o'clock in the morning um, and it was Sabu on the phone. Oh, I didn't know this so, bit. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, 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 wow. yeah. He apologised for not completing our planned meeting uh, and asked how far away from Lansing was I? Uh, that being the town where he lived mm. and uh, I'd be welcome to go and hang out for a bit <laughs> um, <laughs> but I had a flight that, that same morning so I yeah. couldn't go um, he sent me some t-shirts and signed pictures instead so you know all's well at Angela. very very cool I think that was, that's got to be of any of the trips any of us have done I think that's the, the most in- incredible slash insane one I think just because just, I, I, I mean, obviously we, I was going to say we went to Detroit a few years after that it's not the most salubrious of places in the in the that, world. I that think was it's city centre as well. I was I was in a town called Belleville on the outskirts mm. in the snow. Uh, yeah. It, it, yeah, it wasn't wasn't fun. No. Um, so sorry. So bit, bit, just a little bit on uh, on just incredible before we go into the match recap. Yeah the the match itself came about um, earlier in the year. Sabu had taken some extended time off. After. The real reason was it. He had a number of injuries, as usual, but that needed to heal. But he broke his jaw in a match with Taz. Uh, I believe that was back in February. He carried on wrestling right through to the end of March but because he was in the main event of that pay-per-view against Taz. And he'd just, re- he'd just tape up his jaw in position because it was broken and wrestle each night. Uh, but in storyline, he stopped wrestling because just incredible complaint to the Athletic Commission that Sabu was too extreme and likely to permanently injure him. So he persuaded them to ban Sabu from wrestling anywhere in the US. So that got him off screen for a while. Um, that angle went into the Heatwave pay-per-view back in July, where Sabu's tag team partner, Rob Van Dam had to go to Jerry Lynn for help uh, as a tag partner, and um, which followed on from their feud, which was just finishing up. And I guess the enemy of my enemy is my friend, as the saying goes. And then it went to... Again, ECW on TNN, literally days before the pay-per-view, they announced Sabu's ban's been lifted. There was no more detail than that. He's returning to Anarchy Rules and he's going to wrestle just incredible. So, again, it was a, a long-running storyline, but in terms of development, it just happened as quick as a flash. Joey Styles said something and that's it, matches on. 
So Credible says in the mic that he's got something to say that is going to quieten everyone down. Everyone knows that Sabu has been reinstated to wrestle at Anarchy Rules. He adds being an impact player, he's always got something up his sleeve. Um, Credible has some paper in his hand. He says that he it is a restraining order which prevents Sabu from getting into the ring or even entering the damn building. He asks the ring announcer, Bob Ortiz, to announce him the rightful winner of the contest. Jim Molyneux, ECW ref and former guest host, looks over the contract while Cyrus questions whether he can read, which I thought was a little bit unkind. Um, Molino gets on the mic and says that he hates to be the bearer of bad news, but and that Credible, ha- though, that Credible has a legally binding document. However, tonight there is no law and order. We are in Chicago, this, and the city... Uh, we are in Chicago, and that he will wrestle... I botched something there. I've missed that line, I think, but there we go. Chicago, the city of hardcore. <laughs> there you go. Thank you very much. So I've written Chicago, the city of Chicago, which is not a uh, not good note-taking there. Um, two stars there for note-taking. Cyrus questions, how can how can Molyneux make such a decision as the crowd starts chanting for Sabu? The ring announcer tries to announce him, but gets smashed by Credible with a kendo stick. And a few more times to good measure until the lights go out. And when they come back, Sabu was in the ring. Cyrus complains that it is illegal. And Style says that if the police want to break it up, they can try. Um, there was a sign on the outside for strictlyecw.com, which I presume was a ballroom dancing slash extreme wrestling mashup website. And um, Sabu got the plunder out early on as the two fought on the entranceway. Sabu was ultimately on the end of a credible splash through said table as the Chicago crowd chanted ECW. Sabu hit an incredible-looking springboard somersault planche onto Credible over the guardrail, which, again, the Chicago crowd ate up. They had a table set up on the outside, um, but this was knocked off the apron. Uh, but Sabu still went for two flying springboard face busters onto Credible, perched on the table on the guardrail um, with the other end on the floor, which looked brutal. Um, Credible was busted open somewhere on the way here. Um, Sabu hit the triple jump moonsault and face buster again, but couldn't capitalise and Credible kicked out. Credible then hit his That's Incredible Tombstone-ish for a big near fall after a cane shot on Sabu by Jason. And the finish came in 14.06 after Sabu missed an Arabian face buster and Credible hit the Tombstone for a second time. This one on a chair after a double reversal spot and got the pin. Uh, Mark, what were your thoughts on this match? And also Credible taking the big win here, which must have been the, the biggest win of his of EC, ECW career, I would have thought at this point. Yeah, I mean... To look at just incredible, and knowing that he'd had a few years in WWE before this, I thought he was a lot older than he was. Again, he's a 25, 26-year-old guy here, so it was the biggest win of his career, as Joey Styles pointed out. Um, I mean, the Sabu started with his trademark unpredictable offense, like the slingshot leg lariat and Arabian press right from the start, and... Um, I'd noticed it earlier in the show, but it really, really stood out in this match and then every other match after it. The the lack of, well, basically no selling by either guy. The guy that hit big, huge, devastating moves and then within seconds, the other guy would, would be up doing a devastating big move of his own. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, Sabu went to put Credible through a table, Credible reversed it and ended up splashing him through a table on the ramp. But literally within 30 seconds, Sabu was diving over the top rope into the crowd to do a splash of his own. Um, the Justin, you said just incredible started bleeding from something. That was where he got put through a table at ringside, face down, which looked very cool that you don't see very often. Um, and it's one of my favourite things about Sabu is how he he genuinely doesn't seem like he plans ahead. He just reacts to whatever uh, situation is presenting itself. An example was. 
he wanted to put Credible on the table that was sandwiched between the guardrail and the apron, but it mm. slipped off the apron. So instead of sticking to whatever plan A was, I'm sure 99% of wrestlers would do and reposition the table, he laid Credible on the table that was now at a 45-degree angle, got back in the ring and still hit the triple jump leg drop, which cracked the table. He had yes. a look. The Credible wasn't broken into pieces, so he got back in the ring, did it again, smashed the table into little pieces and... Credible come up uh, bleeding quite heavily. So, um, yeah, I, I loved all that. There was my only other comment about something that went a bit awry in the match. Bill Alfonso, as he tended to do, would ha- help Sabu. Uh, at one point, he slid a, a chair across the, the mat from one side to the other as they were both laid on the floor and Sabu, uh, it cracked Sabu in top of the head. Oh, I didn't notice real. that. Crikey. Yeah. Not ideal. Dan, what did you think of this? Uh, what do you think of this one? No, I like this one again. Um, so, yeah, I like the name Just Incredible. It's great, isn't it? That? I yeah, think it's really good. Um, <laughs> so, Just Incredible comes down with just, just Jason. Just, just says with Jason. The sexiest so. man alive, Jason. Is it? Well, each dead right, Mark. Um, <laughs> but uh, I had to look. It's Jason Knight. Is that right? Yeah. I, yeah. I had to have a little look about about that. Um, so um, you liked him yeah, so much, you wanted to know what his surname was. Basically, is what, what, how I've read well, that. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I didn't look at any pictures, but given <laughs> given what Mark just said, I might have a little look. Um, I mean, Sabu for me. Hey, look, I I knew him as a hardcore legend, um, and little the the, the the naivety of me, and this is the truth. I said this to um, Tony, who's been on before. He's a big WCW fan earlier on, and he laughed at me. I actually didn't know Sabu wasn't Arabian. I actually fell for that. So oh, okay, in the yeah. past, I've laughed at people say that uh, not that you know, not knowing that a lot of the Russian wrestlers aren't Russian. I've just fallen. I fell straight into the trap there. <laughs> um, then obviously you had the classic um, uh, "What's up?" People get up to in their spare time chant. Um, there's a sign that says "It's just in your mouth," oh, which crikey. I can only assume is slightly linked to linked to the previous yeah. chant. But I'm, I'm, I think I can get away with saying that because I've not used any of. of seen words then um <laughs> and then um what i did what i did like going back to the commentators is the lights go out right and obviously as we know in iconically in wwf the lights go out undertaker is tense it's you know it's quiet music's like going in lights go out here and uh cyrus says get your hands out of my pocket <laughs> <laughs> And I literally burst out laughing, like all the tension just hit hit down. I thought that was brilliant. Um, yeah, not quite the Undertaker. The quick count ref was back. Then, see again, because I don't know. One thing I have noticed so far um, is unlike WWF, where you get an uh, when you, in a at a pay per view when you get a match, you'll have a video montage about the backstory, mm. um, which you get in one match on this. Um, you don't. So a lot of it, I was a bit like, what's, why do these two yeah, yeah, yeah. not like each other or whatever? Um, and the other thing I didn't really know is I don't know who Alfonso was. And obviously given his attire to me, I was like, who is this like member of the crew setting tables up? Mm. And originally I was watching going, well, this is a bit silly because he's just <laughs> setting a table up for this guy. This is stupid. And then I realized, oh no, he's, definitely in this because he's got in the ring now what is he doing um and yeah you and, and i certainly didn't uh notice um the face down through the table uh because I, I think they made the comment someone people's backs don't bend like that um 
And yeah, I, I did notice that because I was a bit like, wow, I'm surprised he's done that. And then I guess the other thing for me was the, the Singapore cane, as they call it in here, yeah, yeah, yeah. what Steve yeah. Blackman used to use. I have never come across that before or after in anything other than a wrestling ring. It's, um, do you know, it's something, someone was caned in, was it in Singapore in the 90s for some... Uh, okay, it, right. Was it, a, was it a drug thing? Yeah, or it was a, a famous thing because I think it was an American kid maybe. That's yeah. why it was big news over there. Ah, but, um, right. He, he got convicted of some kind of crime and the punishment was he had to take 10 lashings with a Singapore cane where they literally bent over and they just smacked him. Ten times. All right. And, then and, now, was, and now wrestlers said, oh, we'll just... We'll just yeah, and I, I don't know why WWE called it... I guess it's Pendo the... Stick. Yeah, I, stick, I, yeah, yeah. I, guess, I guess it's the... They didn't want to um, use, a, use a country Maybe name. Associate it. Controversial. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something controversial. So I guess that's why, yeah. they, why they did that. But yeah, ultimately, I thought... I really enjoyed this match. Um, and I just thought, you know, it's very good use of the tables and the chairs. It wasn't mm. just... Uh, Goes back to what we said again, like, you know, linking it back to what I knew. Hardcore in the WWF would be you'd get a chair, might hit them once, but generally what they'd just done was they just hit them over the head with it. That was pretty much the image. You might put it on the floor and do a DDT onto it or something. But the tables were set up in ways, the chairs were set up. There was an actual, obviously, I mean, just if you just think about what these guys, they're, they're you know, they're working out here at, you know, 100 miles an hour and they're thinking, about how to set it up, how to get like, you know, to table is it's probably difficult enough just to get yourself ready to, for the next move, let alone yeah, yeah. right. I need to get him over there. Cause I'm going to set a table at a certain angle over there. And I'm going to like mad madness, but you could tell Sabu did the majority of that. And I think that's a testament to why this guy was, why people travel all around the world to go and see them. Yeah. I'm uh, sure he was, that, I'm sure man. he was calling this in the ring. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Sabu was in, was in the, was in the prominent spot here. Definitely. Yeah. I thought this was entertaining for what it was. If, if, as Mark said, took maybe a little bit overcooked in terms of big moves and stuff, but I thought this was, yeah, this was, this was an enjoyable match. So next up is the biggie, the ECW world title match. And Masato Tanaka is out first. And Styles says he is the FMW world champion. He's, and he is in his mid twenties. And out next is Taz, and you can hear the You Sold Out chants, even though the, over the dub music. Um, in spite of that, the ring is filled with streamers on Taz's entrance. Taz gets significant boos, and Styles says in commentary that internet wrestling fans will be able to tell you that he has been the subject of a lot of speculation in recent weeks. Taz gets on the microphone and calls someone in the crowd a big son of a bitch and says that if he wants some, to come and get some. They then show Mike Awesome in the crowd, and Taz asks him to come and get some, Paul Heyman is shown at ringside and Taz implores the crowd to let him go, uh, to chant, let him go. He says to Heyman, this is, this is, that he's got him the effing by Ray and to let him go. Heyman says he promoted him as the baddest motherfucker on the planet because he could beat anyone. And if he wants to put the belt on the line of Chicago tonight, he says, let's make it a three-way dance and to let him go. Awesome climbs the guardrail and Tanaka hits him with a plancher of the belt. So I'll stop there. Before we get too far into this match, um, I thought it was important to sort of set the stage because if this wasn't promoted as a three-way but became one. So, Mark, please give us a bit of background on Tanaka and Awesome plus the situation involving Taz going into this pay-per-view. Yeah, as I said earlier, um, Taz had been negotiating at the very least with the WWF. So it didn't come about at a great time for ECW, him being the world champion. Uh, and he'd agreed the deal right before this pay-per-view. So the news got out on the internet, which led to the angry crowd reaction 
that we heard towards the supposed babyface world champion. Uh, some of the details uh, that came out after the fact were to try and convince him to stay. ECW offered him a three-year deal in the region of 380000 per year, which was almost double what anyone else in the company was being paid. But, okay. um, so, but Taz wasn't, wasn't that naive. He knew how precarious the, the financial situation was in ECW, so he accepted the much lower offer of 250000 a year that WWF offered him. And uh, I think in the end, that was best for everybody involved because mm. ECW would never have been able to keep up with that. Um, and then as far as the, the hype for the match, it came out, again, it's, there's a running theme here. It came out of the blue literally two weeks before the pay-per-view. There was no main event, no world title match mentioned until Joey Styles in one of these little bits he did in between matches with the ECW background you might have seen on various uh, things. Um, he said the FMW promotion in Japan, which ECW had had a working relationship with for a couple of years at this point, had revealed Masato Tanaka was their choice to challenge for the ECW world title as part of that agreement. So, um, I mean, it was renowned in earlier years for some excellent, slow-burning, well-paced storylines, such as Dreamer versus Raven lasted over a year. Uh, Taz versus Sabu headlined their first ever pay-per-view after a 18-month build. And that's another example, but they also would do stuff like this. Um, Tanaka had not even worked in America for over a year, oh, and now he was the number one, number yeah. one contender for ECW's uh, title on a pay-per-view with two weeks build. Um, I mean, that followed the previous pay-per-view, Heatwave in July. Tajiri was uh, in the world title uh, picture, and again, there was no build-off story. It was just announced one day he's going to wrestle. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, and I think a lot of this is down to Paul Heyman had so much going on trying to work out these deals with the TV companies, with the pay-per-view companies, getting a video game off the ground and merchandise and all this stuff, and, and he was spreading himself way too thin. And that's why people like Taz and Tommy Dreamer had really high up positions behind the scenes, like booking and the rest of it, because Heyman just couldn't do everything himself. And the most um, important thing of all is the creative. Because if your creative's not right, you're going yeah. to you're gonna go there's only gonna go one way after after and, and WWE is a prime example of that. So yeah, I mean that yeah. you can clearly see the strain here. I'll, I'll, not just this match, a few of these matches on this show, uh, it was a case of thrown together at the very last minute. I mean, he did a in-ring promo on hardcore TV rather than the TNN show, I think because of the language used, TNN. Mm didn't want anything like that. But even then, he, he did something mentioning Tanaka, but he spent just as much time ripping into WCW champion Hulk Hogan and WWE champion Triple H as he did on Tanaka. Mm. Um, and I mean, to, to build Tanaka as this monster worthy of the position he was in, they just showed um, footage of a couple of matches he'd had with Mike Awesome literally 14 months earlier uh, at the July 1998 pay-per-view and uh, another one at some house show. And that and, and that was how the match came about. Not much build um, behind it at all, really. 
So Tanaka and Orson started fighting with Taz staying out of it until he got involved and hit both men with a couple of suplexes. Tanaka smashed Taz with a roaring elbow. Orson went up to the top rope and hit a frog splash. And Taz was covered by both men to be eliminated in 201, leaving under three, ECW three-way rules. Um, Orson and Tanaka to fight for the title. And um, the ECW locker room entered as the crowd chanted F.U. Taz. And they gave him, the, the wrestlers gave him an ovation as he walked backstage. Um, Taz told the two remaining wrestlers to go at it. Um, the crowd chanted the goodbye song as Awesome hit a huge tope onto Tanaka on the outside. There was a huge near fall after a sit-out Awesome bomb that Tanaka just escaped from. Tanaka did his long run down the aisleway with a chair shot on Awesome, which got a big ECW chant from the Chicago crowd that looked great. Um, there was a big near fall on Awesome from a Tanaka tornado DDT on a chair. Tanaka followed up with a Randy Savage-style elbow, albeit aided by that chair, which, again, Awesome managed to kick out of. Um, the crowd spontaneously started clapping at that point, uh, but, but Tanaka killed it a little bit with an iffy-looking powerbomb. Soon after, Awesome got back in control and hit an unbelievable-looking Awesome bomb from in the ring over the top rope and through a table on the outside, which drew Awesome, Awesome chance. Back in the ring, Awesome hit an Alabama, Alabama slam and then a frog splash for a razor-thin near fall, which Tanaka snuck out of. Awesome then hit Tanaka with, the th- with three brutal unprotected chair shots, uh, which Tanaka didn't make any attempt to block at all with his hands. Tanaka got up to the cheers of the crowd and booted back, uh, booted back a charge with the chair. He hit the diamond dust su- somersault stunner, but couldn't capitalize. And by the time he was able to make the pin, Awesome just kicked out. Tanaka missed the roaring elbow and Awesome hit a German suplex named the spear, which drew some boos, I presume for the link to Bill Goldberg. Um, awesome got another chair, went up to the top rope and then hit a huge chair shot to to Tanaka's head. He then set up a table in centre ring, uh, a weak-looking chair shot to the the chest, which drew some boos, but at least this wasn't concussion-inducing, and that knocked Tanaka onto the table. Tanaka fought back, though, as Awesome climbed the ropes. He was going for a superplex, but Awesome fought back and ended up delivering the Awesome bomb through the table for the win and to become the ECW world champion in 1348. Um, Taz came back and snatched the ECW title from John Finnegan before kissing it and handing it over to Awesome, which drew claps from the crowd. Um, they shook hands and Taz got a more positive reaction. They then showed Taz hugging Heyman and thanking him. Um, there's a lot going on in this. Uh, Mark, what did you think of, the, of Taz being taken out of this match early on and the whole presentation of this title contest? I, I, liked, I liked how that was done. Um, it, it, he got a couple of suplexes in to show that he's still... A badass but um, they finished it soon it had the shock factor I like the way Joey Styles put it across by he sort of whispered Taz has been eliminated yes. and then shouted Taz has been eliminated and um, Awesome and Tanaka stood in opposite sides of the ring staring in disbelief as well and I think um, by getting Taz out rather than a three way WWE style with one pin to finish it after a 15 minute match Getting Taz out of the way early meant the focus was on these two. One of these two is the new world champion. And I think putting Taz to the side like that was was the best way to do the situation, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. Because I think the crowd knew there was going to be a title change and this was the best way. Get him out early on and then and get, and let the drama be with the, with the guys that are going to stick around. And um, Dan, what did you think of this? I'm guessing the Taz loss early on was probably quite a shock. Yeah, I mean, you've explained now the majority of my questions, as you can imagine, <laughs> um, which were around all the chance towards Taz, um, who, look, he might have lost the ECW champion, but he'll always be the FTW champion in my eyes. <laughs> uh, 
because uh, he made it up himself. So, yes, he um, did. So, sorry, it's just that is a real bugbear. One in AW, <laughs> and I'm just bringing it out onto this. Um, so, um, yeah, there was, there was a few. It, yeah, it was surprising that he went straight away. It looked very, you know, um, let's get rid of him. Very much, a, if you if you are going to leave the company, I, I I don't begrudge any company then getting rid of their champion like that. Yeah. Right? Um, I mean, for a start, I was always, oh, again, this is a question that I was going to ask later, but and actually, this is an ECW World Championship, I would have assumed would be deemed higher than the TV title. Yeah, this was done mid-card. Well, not mid-card, but, you know, it's not the, it's not the main event. So I thought that yeah. might have been another sort of fu to Taz in a way, if that makes sense. I like, don't know why not... this was was in the middle of the card. Actually, that's, I've got I've got a question on that later. Mark, do, do you do you have any background on that in terms of why this is in the middle? I I th- the first thing I thought of um, when I thought about this coming up is uh, I'm sure it will have had something to do with the fact that Taz is at, is out of here. We're bringing in two new guys. One of them is going to be the champion, and in the meantime. Rob Van Dam was being portrayed as pretty much the top guy in the company anyway, certainly on, on the same power as Taz, even though you, you've got to imagine that world heavyweight champion is, is it, championship is the biggest um, thing you can go for. But this reign that RVD was in the middle of, he'd already been champion a year and a half uh, with great matches week after week. I think he was, like I say, on, on a level with Taz and I think him leaving the company will have just swayed the decision who goes on last, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, um, it probably done quite yeah. a lot to actually enhance the merit of the TV title as well, I guess, as you know, if you have a pay-per-view and you put it on last. Um, so I, I was also looking at um, sort of Paul Heyman, uh, just sort of like a headset on, like he was sort of like organising the event at ringside as well, which is something that I don't think you'd get Vince McMahon doing as in I know we've had him on the desk but so you know the way Heyman looked like, looked like he's going around going right you're on next you know like a like, the, like a stage hand um, do you, do you know I, what Dan it's funny you say that because if you what, the, you do get Vince in a couple of documents and WrestleMania oh, really? in one of those headsets yeah yeah, yeah you do yeah. I mean I mean, because I, I saw in AEW a couple of weeks back they went I mean, it might be nice but they went backstage and I didn't realise that Tony Khan literally sits yeah behind. oh yeah yeah Yep. Where they walk out. Yep. So, and obviously he was there. So I thought it was quite. He dressed up um, for the occasion as well, didn't he? Oh, yeah. 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 yeah his best, yeah, his best shorts and t shirts. Best shorts and t shirts. Uh, there, fa- there was a famous one uh, last year after the Cody versus Dustin match, um, where Cody obviously bled an insane amount in that match. Mm. Oh, sorry. It was uh, Dustin, Dustin, wasn't it? Dustin, but yeah. I think yeah, Cody Dustin, bled Dustin, as well. Yeah. And there's a famous photo of Cody. Literally, his match was over. He still got his gear on, and he was sat with a headset on, blood all over his hair. Oh, and he really? Was yeah. In what oh, really? Because they're they're all involved in that part of the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we, am I am I led to believe that Mike Orson was just there watching a member of the audience that he's um, called him I out? Think because beyond if us, he was, I'm pretty confident. If I went to watch an event with a t-shirt and black pants on like sort of sort of like white fronts they wouldn't let me in but you know seemingly he's called him out like he just took his top on he's ready to go yeah, he is, uh, yeah so i don't know if i was led to believe he was there in a spectator capacity or not 
Well, uh, again, Judge, Judge Jeff Jones said there'd be an awesome uh, surprise coming. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah um, good point. And uh, th- it was an ongoing feud between those two from Japan, where Austin had spent most of his time up until this point wrestling for FMW. Uh, he and Tanaka had had a series of matches for their heavyweight title, as well as an ECW pay-per-view match a year earlier. So there was already history there, at least. Yeah. Um, they also had with Taz... I know he's a suplex machine or whatever, but I did think calling it the German Tazplex was pushing it a little bit on the old, <laughs> you know, you just get a move, insert name here. Um, yeah, the German Tazplex. I also have noticed this before with Taz, but um, in his sort of attire, which isn't quite a mankini, but when it comes down into the leg area, it is like a mankini. And you are wondering how where it is is what I'm going to say oh, I don't know it is very if you, I'll tell you what it's, I was looking like that is bizarre what are you like that's what he what he wore right and he had the towel on the head maybe to, to distract from from down below but um I, I'll tell you what, it's, I, it can't possibly be as small as uh, when I play football in the depths of winter. I basically go through reverse puberty and get home and it's, it's regressed back into my, into my body. So, yeah, I, I mean... I don't know. Well, why have you specified just in winter there? I, well, that's uh, true, actually. Charlotte win- was telling me in summer. Yeah, well, yeah winter, like winter is partic- particularly bad. <laughs> All seasons. <laughs> um, and then, um, but again, going back to the actual match itself, sorry. Um, there was, again, some, there was bits where... I must like awesome was getting a, a proper kicking and like kicking out of everything. And I quite like the chair on the chair move, uh, from the top rope, come down chair landing on chair. That was, mm. I like that. I, I thought that was good. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was, a. Uh, as I say, I understand from actually talking to again to, to Tony earlier on, um, uh, sort of big WCW fan and stuff. And he was telling me about how, he didn't feel Mike Orson was used very well there yeah. and ended up becoming a bit of a gimmick, um, which was a shame. Um, he's actually the first one, which, do you know what, given this promotion and what it's all about, right? Hardcore wrestling. And we, we've touched upon sort of injuries and stuff like that. When we've done this month in wrestling and a WWF one, we generally go through and I would say we're looking at 50 to 60% of the wrestlers have, have, have passed away or yes. died yep. early or whatever. On, I've obviously, as I said, looked at what, what each one did after this. Of everyone that appeared in this show, only three have left us, mm. which if, you, if we go back to what we discussed in regards to, you know, all the brain injuries and stuff, weirdly, this promotion... I would say he's got a pretty good survival rate, if I'm, I'm honest. Sure. I mean, yeah, Mark, would you say overall there? I mean, uh, would you say overall there's is about the same as WWE, or do you think that this there's less in, in this? I suppose they were believe around it, for a short period of time, weren't they? So, believe it or not, I did the same research. Did you? Oh, yeah, did okay. you get more than three? Uh, did you get more than three? You might, you, I, knew, I you might know two. some of the. Oh, okay. I got I, two. So Mike Awesome is one. Yeah. Because he committed suicide at 42, I saw. Um, then we'll come to them later. But oh, right. Axel oh, yeah. Rotten and oh, yeah, Axel Rotten three, and yeah, Balls yeah. Mahoney. Yeah. Axel okay. So I've got. I'm also. Do you know what? I'm also glad I've done a bit of research and I've and I've got the same as Mark has. I'm sort of feeling <laughs> you, beaming. For those who killed someone off video, there. I'm beaming with pride here. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you killed someone off there that wasn't dead. But there we go. Yeah. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. But um, yeah, I just find that again, Mark. Yeah, it'd be interesting. But but I just thought. I just assumed when I was 
we were watching this and given we've, we've talk, spoke about it before and I think Steve last month we particularly had a big chat about how things have changed because obviously I always laugh at you for you, you hate things you know people being hit unnecessarily and stuff but actually as to say free free people in this whole thing I mean it's great it's great but it goes against everything that we've just everything we're told do you see yeah. what I mean like you'd think, I think yeah, but maybe because they ended their careers earlier I, I don't know I don't know I think potentially this Sorry, you go ahead, Mark. Well, yeah, as you said, is it on a level with WWE? You've got to take into account longevity. ECW was around for eight years, so they had a lot less wrestlers on their roster at any point. But, I mean, it was well known throughout the history of the promotion. Um, They had a massive drug culture going on in the dressing room. Mm. So many shoot interviews and things, books written since then. And it was people who who took way, who, who were made... I don't know how to word it, but we'll, we're known for their lifestyles way more than some of these guys who, who took us by surprise in later years, I would say. Like, I can't believe Umaga had a heart attack, that kind of thing. You don't yeah. hear anything about his issues. He was never fired for it or anything. Um, but then people like, I, I know Raven used to joke, and it's not something to joke about, the Deadpool, where people would say, well, who in wrestling might not? make it another year let's say Raven was always number one on the Deadpool but you had people like Sandman and New Jack and and, and um, people like that and they're all still going and going strong at the moment yeah um, and then yeah there's been a lot of surprising ones uh, in that time but yeah it, it I, it's something I looked into surely 21 years later some of those aren't with us but it was literally just the three of them like you said I, yeah, I think, I yeah. Think, yeah and it seemed to I say, I would say with Mike Awesome, unfortunately, he 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 he, he committed suicide. Here's his one. Um, I think the other two that we'll come on to later, because I've got a sort of little story or Mark might have it. I don't want to still still Mark's a, a research, but um about what happened after their deaths. But yeah, I just think I mean any anything like that again, like with Mike Awesome, maybe that one is just interesting that he's one of the he's one of the names and yet you know the first thing that say tony said to me the wcw expert yeah should we say was wasn't used well yeah and you see a lot of the ones that would end up sort of just sort of signing to end their lives is when they've gone to other right big gone to big promotions and haven't it hasn't worked out as they viewed and i just i just find it quite interesting i was sad but you know it's it's, it's a big thing in wrestling, in my opinion, I think it's huge. And um, yeah. awesome there's all different well, things think, you can blame it on. I think Awesome had, the, had, the, had the, the perfect storm of working a very hard style here, FMW in Japan as well. Um, probably, you know, the, the brain stuff, I'm sure. The thing with Awesome that's interesting is, if you look at him here, if you, if you plot this guy, plot this guy, take this guy out of ECW in 99 and put him in AEW, this guy's this guy might be your AEW world champion, or he's certainly getting a run for the title on top because he had everything. They'd stick him with um, I can't really remember too much about Awesome's promos, but they'd stick him with Jake or Arn or Tully or someone because they they believe in having managers in that promotion. And he, and think what this guy could do in New Japan now. I mean, bloody hell, this this guy would be a top you know be a top foreigner in the G one like smashing out four star matches left, right, and centre. And I think I think he would just. I think unfortunately for awesome, Mark, you probably know, or I'm sure you do know a lot more about this than me. I think that he maybe was of just a victim of the time in, in the worst creative of any major company of all of ever and didn't really know what to do with him. And, and, and perhaps he didn't have the personality to, to rise above that. 
but in ring, I mean, this guy was, you know, awesome, pun intended. Yeah, cre- creative in WCW didn't have a great deal for him. But I think another thing that is worth mentioning is in his WCW, in his, sorry, ECW run, he didn't come across many other guys who were over six foot tall. Yeah, he looked yeah, like an yeah. absolute giant here against yeah. people like Taz. He wrestled pay-per-view matches after this against the likes of Kid Cash and Spike Dudley, tiny guys that are 200-pound cruiserweights, and he looked like an absolutely massive monster. Yeah. And then he went to WCW, and his first night in, he's in the ring with Kevin Nash, and he was a good four or five inches smaller than mm. Nash. Um, and I think that was part of it at WWE as well. If you look at his pay-per-view debut at the Invasion pay-per-view, it was him and Lance Storm in a tag match, I believe, against Edge and Christian. Yeah, the open. And he, he, yeah. Lo- he looked of a similar size to Edge. Hmm. And Edge isn't someone who you'd, who you'd call a big guy in WWE. No, no, no. But he's no. an average-sized guy for that roster, six foot plus. And um, yeah, what, what made Awesome stand out in ECW, um, he didn't have going for him in the other places he went to. Yeah. Yeah, um, as much as the, the I was going to say, as much as the chair shots are like a little bit hard to watch as we talked about, especially knowing as we said about awesome, I thought this was enjoyable. And, I, and again, I, I revert back to what we said. I thought they did a really good job of the title change uh, and to get Taz out there early on. So we skip forward now to um, a video package about the long history between Tommy Dreamer and Raven. Uh, Mark, fill us in uh, with a with a recap on these two um, heading into their match with Steve Green and Jack Fitch, because I think this is largely seen as one of the creative high points in the, in the in ECW's history, basically. Yeah, I really enjoyed this uh, Raven video package they did where um, the sort of went, it, it was odd, first of all, that he's wearing his tag team belt in regular clothes in a kid's park late at night and wearing sunglasses. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, he, during that speech, he recapped their entire two and a half year feud, basically. Um, he called it, they fought an epic battle of mythic proportions, which was a nice line. And um, it was montage of Raven pinning Dreamer over and over from that two and a half year period, because that was the storyline the whole time. Dreamer could never pin Raven. He beat Raven's partners in tag team matches, in three-way dances, he'd pin the other guy and so on. He could never beat Raven. And then um, he did pin him uh, one point but it was literally Raven's last night before he went to WCW so that was a sort of hot shot idea I guess and they tried to work it into this thing Raven saying I let you beat me uh, so that you could move on and things like that uh, this, this montage video was set to come out and play by The Offspring which was oh, Raven's was yeah. ECW uh, entrance music which you won't have heard on the network and um, uh, yeah so the the crux of the storyline was they had this long running thing that didn't really go until uh, Raven was leaving the company. And then it sort of, they ended it literally on a whim again, because the ECW contracts being the what they were, it wasn't like you had to give 30 days notice yeah. to leave. It'd be a case of the turn up at the ECW arena and say, this is it. I'm off after this show. And that's what happened with that one. So next up, Joel Gertner came out, uh, a personal favourite of mine when I used to watch ECW, and he got a huge reaction. He said, well, 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 the quintessential stud muffin. I'm here in Chicago for anarchy rules, and some pretty, pretty young thing watches at home and draws. And I know she's got the skills, and I know she's got the tools to give her oral massage to my family jewels. 
And this is actually pretty tame for Gertner, I feel, because he came out with a lot of a lot more extreme stuff than this. And he says he's got a very important interview to carry out with the Queen of Extreme, Francine, and the innovator of violence, Tommy Dreamer. And out they come, and Francine is wearing an outfit I'm not sure would quite cut it in PG. 2020 WWE. Um, Joel said that he and Tommy had had their differences. He's got a lot of loathing for him, but also a lot of respect. He asked him to talk about the state of his back injury and his ability to defend the tag team titles and the longevity of his wrestling career. Dreamer says he's not out there to cut a baby face promo and a line that made me almost cringe out of my own skin. He then talks about local baseball star Sammy Sosa and then cut a baby face promo if ever I heard one. He said he's sick of listening to doctors and people telling him what he needs to do. He doesn't need explosions and pyro or any of that glitzy shit because he is Tommy Dreamer and he needs to sweat and he needs to bleed and he needs to innovate some violence in Chicago tonight. I didn't think the crowd was into this. Mark, have I imagined this over the years or was Tommy not nearly as over as legend or have you believe? Um, I think he he was beloved by the hardcore crowds that had Philadelphia and New York and so on, the local crowds to Tommy and to the mm. company in the early days because um, they followed his whole journey. He started out as a pretty boy babyface who wrestled in brightly coloured tights when the company yes. first got going. And then his real turning point was when he proved how tough and hardcore he was when, funnily enough, as we were talking earlier, he took 10 lashes from a Singapore cane-wielding Sandman. Um, and that's what, when the crowd started accepting him at that point. And then through through the years, all, literally all, I would say, of the other top stars within ECW at any point had, had left for bigger money and fame in WWF or WCW, mm. whether it's Raven, Cactus Jack, Shane Douglas, Sabu, Public Enemy, Bam Bam Bigelow, you know, even Sandman and Mikey Rip Whipwreck all left to go to yep. one of the others, and um, and some of them came back eventually, obviously like Raven and 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 others. But Tommy was always there, both on screen and I think a lot of people knew that behind the scenes he was a massive part as well of keeping the company going in the hard times. So I think that's why he's known as an all-time legend of that company. Mm. But in his place in wrestling history, yeah, I'll you know. It's, He's done what he's done. I mean, he's in the main event picture now in Impact Wrestling, so what oh, is say, he? Wow. 21 years later. Crikey. Um, what did you think of this promo, Dan? Yeah, um, it looked like, well, again, it's up to time, right? So it reminded me a little bit of the footage was very VHS. Um, <laughs> it was closer to Mid-South than it was... Um, in the video package, that was, yeah. Yeah, in the video package, yeah. yeah. Um, I, yeah, so obviously it gave a bit of a background... Obviously, they were tag team partners, right? At this point, yes. Sort of. They were tag team champions, but... Yeah, yeah, really. that's a better way of putting it. Right, yeah. Because I'm watching that and I didn't really get it. I was like, well... I, I, it wasn't clear to me that they were a team, if that yeah. makes sense. I could tell they, they hated each other. But I was like, oh, he's teaming with him. Oh, okay. I was waiting for <laughs> they did to a pretty bad on. job. For me, they did a pretty bad job explaining what was going on. And, mm. and I, I went back through a few TV episodes to get sort of what the storyline was. Why are right. they, why are these enemies together? Um, I done a little bit of what I'm now going to call Mark research. Um, because, you know, I feel like, uh, he, he's, he's got anything off research. He's already done. Um, <laughs> but they, they mentioned about 
and, and Mike, you probably watched this as it was happening, uh, about this. Uh, they showed the scene with the baby, about the woman that said, oh, I'm pregnant yeah. with your... I'm pregnant, and then it's like, oh, um, to... Yeah, to Raven. Oh, it's not yours. And he, and he, and he hits whoever's in the ring with him at the time. Uh, and yep. she goes, oh, it's Tommy's or whatever. So then I was a bit like, where's the baby? I wonder if, <laughs> if this baby exists. So I went and searched, found her on Wikipedia. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, and it, and it, that's obviously one of the big, her, this, this, this woman, um, Beulah McGillicutty. Beulah, Beulah. Um, obviously one of her biggest storylines. Now, this is where Tommy Dreamer, I've always viewed as a bit of a, a bit like you, Reg, that's really, oh, Steve, sorry, it's really interesting that you say that, um, Sorry, Steve, do you want to just tell people why I call you Reg? Because obviously, like that, people well, think that's a bit weird. No, it's fine. It's, 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 we, only, we, only, we only call me Reg on certain days of the week. Um, no, there was, a, there was a commentator called Reg Boxing Commentator who's actually way before your, but he's even before my time. But I think he's, yeah, he's definitely before, before your time. time. Yeah. That the older guys in the football group started calling me because his name was Reg Gutteridge. So it's basically. And we've got stuck. loads of Steve's. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So I, I can't, I only call Steve. Steve on this podcast. <laughs> uh, so sorry if I slip. Anyway, um, yeah, and and so Tommy Dreamer. So I sorry. So I searched searched on on, on Wikipedia, found the storyline, and apparently there was an uh, there was a episode where someone come out and said there is no baby. Uh, she's been cheating on you, Tommy, with Raven's new valet. Um, to which Tommy Dreamer says. I'll take them both. I'm hardcore. Oh, it was the absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Kimo- kimono <laughs> wanna layer. Yeah, kimono. Yeah. Kimono I'll wanna take layer. Them both. I'll Bloody take them hell. both. I'm hardcore. Did they do a three-way kiss in that as well? I think they did. Didn't Unbelievable. They? Yeah. Yeah. Shane Douglas broke this amazing revelation, thinking it was going to. Shane Douglas. Through. That's yeah. it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and Tommy said, uh, "Fair enough. I'll, I'll take them both." And they had that is kiss. brilliant. That is brilliant. So yeah, I, um, I mean, yeah, I always view Tommy Dream as a bit of a like, oh god, here he is. But read that for what a lad. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, as the promo goes, to be honest, it was the first sort of as I mentioned earlier on, actually it's what's happened before. So I did like that and I liked seeing old footage and actually going back to what we said earlier, I've not really seen much ECW, if any. So it was just actually just showing me what the sort of the house shows were like, etc. cetera, um, which I thought was quite interesting. They looked, okay, they looked just as raw as a sister, to be honest. But, um, you know, what, what, was the, what sort of crowd did they have for a house show, Mark? The ECW arena in Philadelphia, which they ran every fortnight, had um, 1,200, 1,300. I think right. the official capacity is 1,000, but they'd squeezed way more than that in every time, and they would sell out. Um, but as far as other places, and I mean, this is why around this time, once they got on TV and were doing regular pay-per-views, Paul Heyman had claimed that they're vying for the number two spot in wrestling. They're doing as well as WCW. Like Steve said, at one point, um, their pay-per-view buys were on a level with WCW. But... I think the thing you've got that that diminishes that achievement is a lot of the house shows, even at this point, they're doing 6,000 at this pay-per-view. I think either side of it, literally within two weeks of this show, they were doing shows in front of uh, 400, 300 fans, house shows. So the company was not 
was not. That, that's not making money, is it? Those those house shows, yeah. they can't do. On the, do. Sur- on the yeah. surface, they're higher than ever doing this, uh, as well as a six thousand um, crowd at this show. It was the first time they ever made two hundred thousand dollars on the gate as well. Hmm. So on the surface, they're doing really well. But then, if your house shows leading up to the pay per views, you're losing money on, then then you're struggling big time. Yeah, definitely. That's the thing. Like, it is it is tough to sell tickets. Look at look at um, AEW and Daily's place now at the moment. So you've got you've got wrestling starved people in Florida, and they after the first couple of weeks they sold they sold out the pay per view. I think it's I think it's seven hundred and fifty tickets, and they can't sell seven hundred and fifty tickets for Dynamite. They're doing weekly. season. They're doing the they're doing, yeah. They're about to do this season now. ticket thing now because they can't sell them, and that's the thing. And I I, I genuinely don't think that's they, there'll be there'll be some people that won't want to go there because of COVID. But you think about in America, you can drive up there. There'll be a big parking lot outside. You walk in. You're about to, you don't even got to get on the tube or something to get there. And people would go to that. They can't sell them, and that's the thing. Like selling tickets is is a tough thing, and that's where. Um, I don't think that's AEW so much. That's that's more of a, a trying to sell tickets in, the, in a in a the same environment week after week is very tough. But ECW, it's about the creative. If you if you've got a promotion that's creatively on fire, you will sell tickets for a long, long time. People will fly in and travel for a big ECW pay per view, and they've probably got these plans, you know, months in advance. But for a regular live event, it needs to be over characters and over storylines to take you out yeah. to see that where it's where it's not going to be on. Not going to be on television. Um, so this, the majority of this match um, was was Rhino and Dreamer, and there's a lot of emphasis put on Dreamer's back injury with Rhino working it over. And Francine uh, smashed a chair into the head of Jack Victor on the outside, who was in a wheelchair. And Rhino smashes Francine with a power sand before Raven finally makes it out there. We get a double DDT spot by Raven and Dreamer onto Victor and Carino for the double pin and win in 324. And um, this was really weird and felt like a bit of an anticlimax after the world title match. And um, Raven put his middle finger up to Dreamer as he left with shock jock man cow. Uh, Mark, please explain what was this? Um, the, they had a few matches on TV in which it'd be Dreamer against two guys. Raven had run in at the end, do a DDT and pin them. And and they just followed the same formula with, for the pay per view. It, mm. it was an odd t- it was an odd situation going into it. I mean, in the TV leading up to this, because they only had an hour a week for hardcore TV until the TNN show began, it was hard to build up specific characters over and over. They were it was like uh, they they could only feature a handful of guys each week and lead into some kind of storyline for them, but. Steve Carino was on TV more than any other performer in this uh, period leading up to this pay-per-view. He had an ongoing thing with Taz, which, of course, they abandoned when the Taz situation developed, and the ongoing thing with Dreamer. And um, and uh, I think it, it was a case of they decided after this they were going to go in a different direction, so they've killed Carino dead, basically, with a two-minute squash like that. I mean, the, there were some good promos leading up, up to it, like at one point... It made me laugh. Steve Carino said he's the future of ECW and Dreamer is a thing of the past, so he should step aside. At mm. this point, Steve Carino was 26 years old and Dreamer was 28 years old. Dreamer was 28 um, here. Wow, tough paper round. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, big time. And Tommy had been in the company five years at this point, so it's the equivalent of a female rookie now in WWE telling Sasha Banks to hang up the boots because she's passed it. Yeah. it's yeah. Um, that, that was the story. Like, I mean... They, they had to come up with some kind of stuff. And again, the Raven and Dreamer thing was kind of explained when they said um, Raven came back 
to get revenge on the Dudley boys for breaking his ex-girlfriend Beulah's neck, uh, which happened a year earlier. And that was pretty much the only storyline reason for him to return and help Dreamer beat the Dudley boys to win the tag titles. I mean, it was flimsy, but it's better than nothing, I suppose. Yeah, and, yeah um, and then, yeah, the match itself was what it was. Like you say, um, my only notes of the match itself was Rhino, Powerslam, Powerslam, Francine, which the crowd didn't agree with, but certainly enjoyed looking at. Yes. And, um, and that's what brought out Raven to even the odds. And then as he tried to skip between the ropes a bit too fast, he somehow bounced back out of the ring momentarily and uh, landed on the ramp before regaining his posi- composure and come in and got the pin. And that was the end of that. I, I do remember Mankow appeared on certainly WCW events from time to time when they were in the Chicago area and maybe WWF as well. So I guess it was a Howard Stern situation where some shock jock likes wrestling and and it got uh, it got them mentioned on his show maybe. Yeah, I just it just I just thought this was weird. And actually, to, to, to be honest, the pay per view was was really enjoyable up to the end of the world title match. It's just a bit of a classic case of probably overthinking the the order here because because this was you know this was this was really good up to this. Um, Dan, what did you think of this uh, this tag match? Yeah, I mean, I got. Um... Yeah, I didn't catch the name of the person that done the intros. So I just got intro by a man in a suit with a no shirt and a scarf. Um, and what did you say his name was? You said you enjoyed him from ECW. The, oh, Joel Gertner. Yes. Yeah. 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 It, uh, it was a surgical collar because he got a neck injury, not a uh, scarf. All right, there you go. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, I noticed the guy in the wheelchair earlier from one of the promos. Uh, so you can miraculously can now walk. Um, yeah, I noticed the botched. Uh, well, I assume it was a botched re-entrance. Um, I think, as you said, I think, Steve, you said sort of an anti-climax. Um, I think if you were watching it and you had been involved in that whole backstory, when I'd imagine when Raven turned up, that would have been quite a big sort of thing. And I can imagine that you, you needed to sort of be a bit, bit more involved in it for that to maybe not feel like a mm. anti-climax. Um, as for Man Cow, uh, I, I, I thought if, if when, when maybe when the show goes to where if, if I'm good enough on Photoshop, maybe we could have sort of Mark's face as, as uh, uh, Photoshop to Mancow, and then me, me and you with his two blokes behind him. Which I don't know if you saw saw the two fellas behind him or took note of them, but two rather large gentlemen who okay. didn't yeah, have tops on um, and had. Um, uh, all I can say, uh, breast that uh, Dawn Marie would have been proud of. Wow. Okay. Um, so let so leave that with me, and uh, you can have that maybe if I can if I can sort it out as, as the image for this podcast. For the oh, I look week, forward hey. to it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, we cut back to Styles and Cyrus, who said it was probably the most people who had ever watched ECW live in the arena. Sorry, who said it was the most people that ever watched ECW live in the arena, and probably the most ever on pay per view as they were available for the first time in Canada. Um, Axel Rotten made his way down to the ring and asked Chicago if they were proving why they were the number one wrestling promotion in the world. He put over Taz and Awesome. He also added that he wasn't the best worker in the world, but he could bleed. And he wanted to be first in line for the world title. And he was ready to get extreme on Mike Awesome's ass. 
Lance Storm was shown in the aisle way along with Just Incredible and Francine. He said he could appreciate he wanted to make a mark on the pay-per-view, but all of the people know that the pay-per-view belongs to the Impact players who are two for two tonight and they're about to be three for three. So he has some advice for him. You rescind that challenge before they rescind it for him. And Lance was good here, I thought, and, and for someone that was always kind of insulted for his promos. And what did you think of this, Dan? Yeah, I, see, so I obviously don't know the background around that. Um, but I got the gist from when, yeah, looking at looking at uh, Lance on, on on certain sort of website stuff. Yeah, that this was seemingly something that he wasn't wasn't his forte. Yeah. Um, but I thought this bit was quite good. Um, and yeah, I, I, I quite liked how. Yeah, I, to be honest, I just I just thought yeah, with him and the you know the impact players, you know, so I didn't know who they were, so I could see you know yeah, two for two, um, and. Yeah, what, was I, what have I got here? Um, oh, that was it. Yeah, because when Axel Rotten comes out, this is a bit of Bell's guns, and he's asking for a title match straight away. I'm thinking this would this is never going to happen. But I must admit, the way this had gone, I was like, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't rule this out. I yeah. wouldn't rule this out now. I wouldn't rule that. Whereas you know, like you know, from what I'm used to, um, you win the bell, someone comes out and calls you out. Number one, they wouldn't, and if they did, they're definitely like they're never. And I know he didn't, but I didn't rule it out. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that was, yeah, that was my sort of key take. It's like, the, like the Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart situation that Steve was so fond of. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I just watched that last yeah. week. I've had to stop my Bret Hart watching because G1 started, so God knows when I'm going to better start that back up again. But I just hated that Yokozuna finished so much at WrestleMania. And I think I, I think I tweeted bullshit or something about it, and I was so annoyed about it. <laughs> What was it, 27 years on? I'll never be over it. Never, ever, ever. Um, so Axel makes a comment that people are cheering uh, for part of Dawn Marie's body and not her, ta- not the talent in the ring. Um, and the Impact players then take over on Axel before Bulls Mahoney and Spike Duddy make the save. Um, poor Dawn Marie ended up taking the acid drop from Dudley before Storm Incredible made the save. And Bulls went in with a chair and Incredible and Storm cleared out of the ring. But Bulls smashed Johnny Smith. Smith was apparently scheduled to close out the show with D. I know nothing about Smith at all. Um, Mark, was this legitimately pushed as the TV championship match on this show? I mean, I presume the world title was billed as the main event between Tanaka and Taz. But yeah, this is a bit odd. Well, again, continuing the theme... Um... There was virtually no hype or build towards RVD and Smith, but it was, again, at some point, two days before the pay-per-view, because the TNN show went out on a Friday night, mm. um, Joey Styles said, Johnny Smith has returned to the ECW arena after a number of years. I think it was 1996, the last time he wrestled there. Um, he'd been in all Japan ever since then. Um, he's returned to the ECW arena, and he's getting a TV title shot on pay-per-view this Sunday night. That was literally the build for the for the match. So I, I strongly doubt it was due to be a, um, a main event. But um, it was just a case of RVD was going through various challenges within the company. They decided to bring someone from outside the company. And, and it's just odd that in the same pay-per-view, um, a guy from a Japanese promotion is suddenly number one contender for both of the singles titles, Tanaka and uh, Johnny Smith. Yeah, it's just weird. I mean, bi-monthly feels like a lot. We, we, Dan and I talk quite a lot about we don't feel like four pay-per-views a year for AEW is quite enough. This, this, the, 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 they, they're usually creatively best in the four or five weeks leading into a pay-per-view. And usually they're in the creative doldrums in the two or three weeks afterwards because it's just too much of a gap. 
And some of this, you know, long, long-term storytelling is great in wrestling, but sometimes, and I think the pandemic is also a part of this, sometimes you've just got to pull the trigger on things because actually otherwise it becomes stale and you miss the, you miss the boat with things. Um, but this six pay-per-views feels like quite a lot here. And, and it's just, you know, there's, there's, there's talent on this show, but you think actually to have, to have even Rob Van Dam and Balls Mahoney in the, in the top match is a stretch really in terms of what, what they, what they did here. Um, Rotten says it looks like RVD needs an opponent and Smith has an extreme headache. And he asked Fonzie to bring RVD out there for Balls Mahoney and prove why he's the whole effing show. Um, so Mark, could you give us a bit of background uh, on RVD, uh, Mahoney and the fright and the importance of the world television title in ECW because obviously they pushed this belt pretty hard as well. Yeah, I mean, um, getting back to what we said earlier about um, Taz was the world champion, but I'd argue that RVD was the top guy in the promotion. Hmm. Um, I went through the records for um, 1999 as a whole and RVD and Taz were on a similar amount of shows that year, but... Um, RVD main evented twice as many as Taz. Taz was in the main event of 25 shows. RVD main evented 49. Um, so again, he was TV champion the entire year. Taz was, in fact, he was world champion from the first pay-per-view, which was in early January. So in that nine-month spell, uh, yeah, it certainly looks like RVD was positioned as the top guy. And um, uh, depending on who you believe, the reason Smith was removed from the match on the night, which was another odd um, thing for them to come up with. Uh, after announcing two days previous, he was getting the shot and then on the night uh, taking it away was because um, the thinking after Taz's uh, leaving went public and they put his match on early, Heyman was worried people wouldn't buy Johnny Smith as a main event challenger, whereas if it had gone on earlier in the show, then it's not as much of a big deal and inserted the more well-known Pauls Mahoney instead. But um, even then, putting a tag team wrestler like him into the main event, challenging for a singles title, title with no build or storyline attached, uh, that seems just as anticlimactic after they've had a two-month spell to build up RVD's challenger. Yeah. So yeah. certainly not a good um, planning ahead at this point. No. Out comes Van Damme to some terrible WWE music, and his theme was so good. It was, was it Pantera Walk for RVD? Correct, yeah. yeah. The crowd I, sung along to it. It looks yeah. amazing on the DVD. Yeah, it's, it was such a good song. I remember, I can't remember Charlotte and I were, but it, I know we were. We were at Universal Studios, and it was an incredible sports bar, which she liked the food in, but obviously had something to say about the fact that we were surrounded by about 40 massive televisions showing about 20 different sports that I couldn't, couldn't get enough of. But they played that twice in there, bizarrely, when I was in there. So I wondered if there was a, maybe an RVD fan in there that was, that was working, that was in charge of the music. Um, there's lots of stalling at the start of this one, um, and the story of the match was essentially that the hardcore brawling Balls Mahoney could wrestle. Uh, Van Damme's shoulder and arm was covered in a brown unidentified substance early on, um, which I hope wasn't a dirty process from someone that wanted to see him versus Johnny Smith and was very disappointed that they didn't get to see that match. Um, the crowd wasn't very hot for this early on and as popular as Van Damme was, 
I'm not terribly surprised after what to that point was a really newsworthy show, um, which ended with a bizarre tag match in a world TV title match that wasn't advertised. Um, we get the classic, we can't see shit, which doesn't really make a lot of sense if you think about it. Um, just after Van Damme hit his patented somersault plancher over the guardrail onto, onto Bulls, um, Bulls was bleeding. I'm not sure uh, what, as my attention started to wave a little bit at this point. Dan, you're the resident blade job expert. Were you able to spot where this, uh, this blood came from? Because I know you like uh, to rewind and make sure you did, see yeah. the actual cut. They had, to be honest, the cameraman, they had plenty of time on this one. They, they, they cut a lot away. Mm. Excuse the pun, cut a lot, but they, they moved away a lot. So... Um, you got, I mean, on this promotion, this is the easiest one to sort of, you know, do a sneaky blood thing because ultimately it's just made, like, it's just stuff yeah, everywhere, yeah, isn't it? You, mean, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's so much easier. So a lot of it, I was like, I just assume that I, just, just going back quickly, um, I might be able to answer. My only comes, no, not my only, sorry. Axel comes out and asks for a title match. Then when it becomes RVD, he recommends his mate. Yeah, yeah. You, why, I guess does, he yeah. why did he go for it? I just thought that was weird. He wants one. Then I, then it's like, oh, no, my mate Balls will do it. Well, hang on a minute. You wanted to do it a minute well, ago. I think he, was he challenging my Different balls, belt. Does, still, does yeah, he but just still, feel that he's yeah, above the battle? I don't know. Why yeah, that was weird. Yeah, that was throw weird. himself in the mix. I didn't really get that bit. Yeah, it was just oh, strange, but it felt it felt like you're trying to shoehorn in some creative here to try and make this, but it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, really. Um, yeah. Balls hit a great looking frog splash for a near fall which the crowd didn't bite onto but probably deserved more um, RVD stopped an attempt at another one hit a, a huge superplex uh, which Van Damme bounced right up in the air off the canvas from and I'm not sure whether that was a, a Van Damme-ism or that was just the momentum from the move but it looked pretty, pretty incredible um, Van Damme hit the rolling thunder though they didn't call it the rolling thunder Mark was this pre the naming of that move? I think it was um, yeah I think it, it came up in ECW, but it was later on. Uh, okay, yeah. So, so I obviously hadn't named this yet. But yeah, hit the Rolling Thunder on a chair on Mahoney for another near fall. Again, no big bite from the crowd. And um, there was a great moment where Fonzie sprayed RVD with water to try and revive him. But Styles speculated it hadn't worked. And now he was just unconscious and wet, um, <laughs> which I thought was just a fantastic line from Styles. And um, Bulls hit a really good looking pile driver. But again, Van Damme kicked out. But again, the crowd just didn't buy into this. And Bulls took off his T-shirt and hit a great super kick and then destroyed Van Damme with a chair shot after Van Damme missed the Van Dammeinator. And that was quite hard to watch. And Bulls rolled him over, um, but Fonzie made the save with the chair. Uh, sorry, rolled him up, but Fonzie made the save with the chair, um, which he then there ball uh, sorry which he then well, smashed Bull's head but was no sold I've just some terrible notes there um, Bull's grabbed the you chair hand, you want to hand write them yeah I know I need to hand write I don't know what, I've, I've literally written Bull's rolled him over but Fonzie made the save with the chair which he then there into Bull's head but was no sold what does that mean God knows I so think Fonzie might have hit him. Fonzie hit him shot. with a chair, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Balls grabbed the chair and Styles speculated that Bill Alfonso was going to die. In the background, RVD climbed the turnbuckle and after Balls couldn't get near Alfonso, sorry, after Balls couldn't get Alfonso, he walked straight into a chair assisted kick from RVD. Uh, a near fall followed um, and then, by, then RVD hit the five-star frog splash the win to retain in 1939. Um, I thought both guys worked really hard in this and at perhaps if five minutes less and in the middle of the card, I think this could have been pretty good actually and, and it was very well worked. And Dan, first, what did you think of this, uh, this closing match? Right, okay. So a few of the points I made, just to start with, I completely agree with that. It, 
90 minutes was too long. Um, I enjoyed the match, but I, I think you're right, actually. And I'm, I hadn't looked at it like that, but maybe if it was a not mid-card, but you know, not the main event, I might have thought it was better than it was. Yeah. Um, but um, if I just take some of the things that sort of stood out to me, observations and the wrestling, um, there's one bit where Balls takes a empty like an empty pint uh, and it completely stalls him. I don't know if you know so he takes like a, a drink from the crowd and there's oh, nothing yeah. in it and then he, does, <laughs> and he stops and then I'm, I'm he's, and I think I, I don't know if he's trying to say that because he was going to hit him with it but I can only assume I mean it looked like a plastic uh, glass because he then later takes a full pint which I don't know what they were drinking there but I would be it looked very watered down uh, I've put a pint of piss here um, just for my notes but, uh, uh, but he sips it, and given he's a big man he just takes a couple of like tentative sips before um, smashing a smashing RVD in the face of it um, I've got a couple of questions actually which I'll leave for now uh, the, the somersault by RVD to the outside which they say was 40 feet away I thought that was something else Yes, that yeah. was absolutely brilliant um, loved that that was so. If you think now, when you see all the, like you know the flips and everything, it's always fairly close to the ring. That was real distance on that. I mean, it's incredible, yeah, absolutely, absolutely incredible. incredible. Um, I mean, a couple of you know Alfonso bringing a chair into the ring while doing a forward roll. Um, I didn't really get what he was doing there. He sort of jumps in, leaves the chair. I don't know if you noticed, and then sort of flipped it out. Um, the, the, the thing is of RVD is he was always the, the man that I sort of viewed that had sort of credibility from ECW and, you know, legend. I think, I think I, I he was the only man that had, um, that's it, held, is it TNA, WWF and ECW uh, world championships. Is it, is it uh, the only ECW original to win the WWE world title? Uh, I think it might be, yeah. 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 Uh, well, you could claim uh, Cactus Jack. So, mm. I mean, he's still wrestling. Well, now, even right? then, he, he was in WCW before ECW, so he's yeah. not really an ECW original. Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think we've got because I suppose yeah, because obviously you, you could say Steve Austin, I suppose, was there as well, wouldn't you? But yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. think I think of the key uh, key ECW guys. He obviously got the greatest heights, didn't he? Yeah. Um, I mean, for him, I mean he had incredibility to it I must admit at the time when I used to watch it and I did notice it in this I used to just think and this will go back to the time I was watching WWF and we sort of touched upon this earlier on he loves a flip but a bit yeah, too does. many like he was doing flips so I'm like why have you flipped there You've, that has not benefited you in any way shape or form you wanted to I see some of his uh, TV matches where he would like he'd stall for it'd be like it'd be like a 10 minute segment he'd stall for 8 minutes and hit a few flips and that'd be it basically so yeah, yeah, I mean, at, least he, at least he put it on the line on a pay-per-view. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's some bits that maybe it's like he's a bit ahead of his time with some of the stuff, you know. Like oh, yeah. In, a, in AEW now, they're, you know, they flip, you know, they flip quite a lot, but I think they do it in moderation, right? So I think he just flips all the time. Um, so thought the match could have gone either way. There was one part, so I've got a couple of questions. One just about um, one of the, the near falls, should we say. You see this a lot. There's one bit where the shoulders are down, um, RVD's shoulders are down and Alfonso comes in with a chair mm. and Alfonso's not a big guy so even though he lands on him 
RVD's shoulders are still down. Is is there like an official rule in wrestling where it's shoulders got to be down, but if you are if the person is knocked, it doesn't. It sort of negates. Yeah, the shoulders down. I know what you mean. That Alfonso yeah. jumped on him, and it was just like someone had just thrown a crisp packet at him. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and he, RVD was was out. Like, but he stopped the count. I just thought it was a bit. I don't know if that was if that is that a rule. I don't know. Um, I think it must you know. be. If there's interference, the referee stops no matter stops, what. Yeah, it must How stop, ineffective yeah. the interference is. Yeah, yeah, because he did just sort of bounce off of him. Um, there was that. Uh, and then the other, uh, uh, just on the old uh, history uh, lesson again, this is, this is the other segment with the two, the two other deaths that we discussed earlier, uh, which is Axel Rotten and Bill's, Bulls Mahoney, sorry. Um, so... Bulls died of a heart attack at 44 um, and Axel died of a herring overdose in a McDonald's toilet. Oh, God. Um, at 44. Who oh, was that? Bulls Mahoney did? No, Axel. Axel, Axel did. Bloody hell, that's um, awful. I didn't know what that. I, what I found <clears throat> interesting when I read this after is on the old autopsy on both of them was that they had uh, CTE. So we'll see a brain, brain yeah. injury. Um, and... Both of their respective families, etc., or states, we say, sued the WWE because yes. obviously, I guess yeah. at the time they had the thing, and both cases were dismissed. Um, mm. And I just thought that was—I just thought it was quite interesting because I guess it goes back to what I said earlier on. They they want to sue them, but ECW don't exist. So I guess the next thing to do is try and sue WWE. But as we said, they just sort of own the the naming rights really more than anything. So I'd imagine when that went to court, it's a bit like, well, we brought it after the fact. You can't really come suing us. And they, I think they did, uh, they did both. I don't know how much Axel Rotten did, Mark, you know, more than me, but they both worked in WWE later. But again, yeah, you're right. The, the, yeah. the vast majority of the damage would have been here. Yeah, I mean, and, and when they were in ECW, they were they were both part of the, as I read, and Mark, the hardcore chair swinging freaks. Mm. So that was I, their tag team name, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, maybe a tag team called the Hardcore Chair Swinging Freaks maybe eventually might have might have thought. I know we said we didn't know at the time, but maybe looking back, maybe we should have thought that my head injuries may have happened. Um, but yeah, but, uh, Mark, I'm interested in your thoughts on you know them suing the WWE. Like, you know, I, I just don't see how they could ever have won that case. Yeah, Axel in WWE never really got going. I believe he was at the second reunion show, or he might have been at both, but I think he got involved at the second one. And then when they relaunched the brand as a TV show, he might have had the odd match here and there, but literally, I don't think anything of consequence, and it did not over a long period of time. Whereas Balls Mahoney certainly got over a year because the they started the TV show in June of 2006, and I remember seeing him on a Monday Night Raw um, house show in, at the end of 2007. So he definitely had over a year, not just in the, in the ECW part of WWE, but he got on the main roster of, of Monday Night Raw for a period of time. Um, but yeah, I think it's literally as, as straightforward as, you know, his family wanted some um, compensation because of his brain injury. Who can you go to? ECW's long gone. He wrestled at some independence where there's no real financial thing there. Mm. WWE, he worked there. They're a billion-dollar company, you know. But I, I certainly won't fault him for uh, yeah. trying to get 
I like it. And I guess my, my other thing was that uh, Balls has got a top on that I couldn't really quite see. So on the back it said Extreme Headache. Did it just have his name on the front? I, I, I don't know. Again, it's another one of these sort of. I think it was a it was a balls and axle shirt. The both ah uh, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Then that would make With sense. With their I'll pictures w- and the words balls and axle. Yeah, and um, was extreme headache a, a move or something? Was it? Uh... That was a, a byproduct of the hardcore chairs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, because um, I was going to ask, you know, given <laughs> a, as as you know this is a podcast but we can all see each other and we've all got sort of various wrestling tops on um but uh just reminded me of sort of back in the day sort of late late 90s early 2000s about just going to see what, what sort of tops we all had i mean it's like for me because back then i mean i know that i would be going to say florida you know standard disneyland or whatever with my parents and just to go to one of the sort of shops in america and be like oh they actually have the wrestling tops out here oh my god like this is amazing um so i think i had back then i had y2j um i had the dx uh suck it one and um a rock one uh do you smell what the rock is cooking but i just yeah. wondered what you guys had then not now where it's easy to get i mean when you when you had to actually try and get mm. them somewhere or source them um <laughs> yeah what did you- i, I- that they were quite easy to get hold of by the sort of late nineties in this country by mail order, but also they oh, were coming over two or three times a year. So I got a few WWE ones that way. Uh-huh. But ECW, the first time I went to America on holiday was January of ninety nine. So ECW was well in the swing of things, and wrestling itself in America was such a big thing. They did have wrestling T shirts in regular malls and mm. clothes mm. shops and things, and I got my first. ECFNW shirt in that January of 99 and a couple of others in addition to the D-Generation X and everything oh, else yeah. stuff yeah. yeah I remember thinking when you yeah it just went into like a normal mall or just more like a shop to get like a newspaper or something and being like there's a there's a there's a rock t-shirt there yeah yeah uh, you know something that was like gold dust uh, yeah or you say mal order over here which yeah, but well, wrestling was an all basically an all time high, wasn't it? Around ninety nine, yeah, absolutely. WCW, yeah. WCW breaking records. I only had the um, Austin three sixteen, which I think one of my. Oh yeah, I had that. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Hang on, we all had that, didn't we? <laughs> ah, I'm pretty sure a mate of mine got that from the mayhem in Manchester pay per view in uh, April ninety eight. No, it wasn't a pay per view. In the end, was it? It's a live event. April ninety eight, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was supposed to be a pay-per-view, but there was some... Straight after WrestleMania, Austin's first uh, title. Yeah, Undertaker's bags went missing, I think, didn't they? He had to wrestle in... um... Did you go to that, Mark, that one? I did, yeah, I was at that one. Yeah. Did you go to... uh, Yeah, Undertaker um... wrestled in jeans and a a shirt. Yeah. Did you go to One Night Only as well? Yes. Ah, that must have been incredible. That That was Birmingham. Yeah, Yeah, I'm very jealous about that one. Um, Because I've only ever seen Bret Hart live once. I've only ever seen him wrestle once. Oh, right. Yeah. Because right. uh, I'd I, I had tickets to some WCW stuff, but he was, that was, po- like, that was, what, was a Nitro in, maybe a house show in early 2000, and a Nitro at the end of the year. But obviously he yeah. was, he appeared at the first one, I think, but he was he was gone by the second one, but he didn't wrestle, obviously. Yeah. yeah. yeah sad stuff. Yeah, I had the Austin 316, and I just had the DX, the, the black and white one with the suck it written on the back, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, classic. Okay, I had the same, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so sorry, Mark, that was did... just my observation. Oh, sorry, go ahead then. I was <laughs> going to... That's it. All right, Mark, what did you think of this uh, this show closer? 
Uh, well, a couple of comments. Um, I can answer the Balls Mahoney bleeding uh, um, mystery. It was a Van Daminator in the crowd, which is where he throws the chair at the guy and then does a spin kick to the chair to the guy. Um, it was straight after that, Balls was bleeding. And um, also in, in the crowd there, there was... Um, both men were down at one point and you could see huge puddles of beer on the dirty concrete floor. Mm. And it actually made me quite queasy seeing them rolling around in that. Um, and then uh, the, the, the high spot of the match, which they built towards, even though it wasn't the finish was definitely that flip dive from the top rope. And I mean, he didn't land in the first, second or third row. It looked like Van Damme landed in row six or seven. Um, yeah. it, it was absolutely sensational. And, He'd done it a year previously in the match where he actually won the TV title from Bam Bam Bigelow. I think he did two similar dives like that in that match. And they are on the opening credits of the ECW shows for, I think, until the company closed because they were such amazing to see. Um, and then, yeah, he won with the big five-star frog splash. And both guys looked very good in the match. Um, but there was basically no heat because there was no build to it. And, you know, the, it's babyface versus babyface. There's no history behind it. Um, and it ended what I, what was a very good pay-per-view on on a bit of a low note. Like you say, the match itself in a different place on the card would probably be even got an even better review. But um as the as the show closer, you know, you've got to build your your event as a whole a certain way. And I think that was a case of odd placement. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I I completely agree with what you said. I, I thought this was, you know, if you if you jumble the the part the parts of this pay per view a bit, um, you definitely get you know a solid show. Um, we'll go, we'll do our ratings out of ten. Um, Mark, you go first. What did you think of this one out of ten? I'd give it a solid um, seven and a half. Okay, I'd, I'd probably say higher. With again placement and. Um, there was a few early on after the amazing opener. There was a bit of a dodgy bit just to get to New Jack swinging weapons around. Um, but there was between the opener, the three-way cruiserweight match, Sabu Incredible, the three-way world title match, um, fantastic action. So certainly at least seven and a half. What are you going for, Dan? Yeah, so originally I'd put eight um, because my expectation was, okay, let's... You know, this this is just going to be a, a novelty three hours. Whereas actually, it was very good wrestling uh, mixed in with with the hardcore element. Um, so when I actually then watch it on its actual merit and stuff, I would I then put I would have adjusted it to seven and a half, mm-hmm. just purely because. As but I do, I completely agree. Actually, I hadn't even thought about this, but now you both said it. Actually, you're right. You moved some of these matches round. It's just weird, isn't it? How you, you would think of the show completely differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and also, you know, it's brilliant. Like at the end of the day, you, you want to see good matches. But how weird is it that you know, because they had that match at the start, which was so good, it sort of then just just affects your view of the rest of it. Yeah. Um, right. And that's obviously that's where the skill involved is, right? That's what that's where the skill is in in, in booking and stuff. Um, but yeah, for me, that I mean, and also just on a side note, uh, thanks to Mark for uh, suggesting this on Twitter because. You know, it's not something I would have ever watched. No way. Um, and I absolutely, I thought it was great. I mean, as I said, I watched the, second, the first match twice. I've since watched uh, One Night Stand. 
Um, that's what it's called, wasn't it? One night stand. Which Mark was at the first one, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I've since watched that. Um, yeah, so I sort of got a little bit of a, I had a sort of a week where I had a little bit of a bug for it all. So yeah, I just want to say thanks for that, Mark. Anyway, that's my. Oh, he's got the top on right now. That's my. I think. That's... I, and I'll just clarify that was a, that that one was that was. I mean, again, I, I can imagine for you, Mark, being there as well. But I was watching it having only just watched this show. Mm, and, yeah. and sort of feeling a bit like whoa wow look at this like god I mean you must have just been in your absolute element weren't you having, having <laughs> done Wrestle, having done Wrestlemania's and SummerSlam's I can safely say that first one night stand is the most amazing atmosphere I've ever experienced mm. in a crowd it wasn't the best show I've ever seen like some of the Wrestlemania's but it was a really really good show and yeah. the, the the thing that stands out for me I'm always one who who gets his camera out, and as soon as guys on the top rope, I want to get a really good photo and all that. I literally took two photos all, all night that show. The aftermath of Rey Mysterio and Psychosis shaking hands, and then after they'd gone off air, because I never even thought to take my phone out. I was just screaming, yeah. shouting the entire yeah. three hours. It was yeah. phenomenal. Not going to that show yeah. is right there with Ric Flair's retirement. Uh, not going to that as my biggest guess because we were talking about it, and I, I get, I think it I got, was it 2005. Yeah, yeah. So 2005, I did. I was dirt broke basically, and I came back from. I've been to Las Vegas for a week after after WrestleMania, and I was trying to justify in my mind how can I surely just get another credit card it'll be all right it'll be all right and I'm chicken <laughs> out of New York I live to regret it until this day and Joe well, I don't want to end this on a downer because I had six out of ten down here and actually that's quite strong for me because I'm quite harsh on these these uh these these things so that's a passing grade for me I thought uh Lynn and Storm was really really strong I really enjoyed Sabo Incredible world title match I really enjoyed um it was a really easy watch I thought it was, I thought you're, you're probably knocking a mark and a half off for the for the order of the matches in the last two as an overall show but I thought this was this was really good um so that is it for, uh, for this week for uh, Mid-South Moments and thank you gents for both of your time and um, before we uh vacate Mark where can people find you online um, Twitter and Instagram. My, uh, I'm on at Dopper Six, which is D O P P E R, the number six. Fantastic. And Dan? Uh, yeah, Twitter, Instagram, Dan PFFC, uh, Fulham, Fulham, and uh, as as now now NFL's back. So a lot, a lot, a lot of chat around that. Well, they, Dallas are probably doing better than Fulham, are they? Are they one, well, are they one and one at the moment? One and one, yeah. One and one. Which which is better than losing two out of two. So there so you go. Right? I'm going to drop a little uh, a little mild bombshell on you both now. I am planning something for the year anniversary, which is coming up this podcast very very soon. So watch this space because I'll be inviting both of you to participate in that, which I haven't actually worked out what it's going to be yet. Uh, Brilliant. There is there is there is there is, <laughs> there is one suge- one strong front running suggestion at the moment, but I will uh, I'll formulate a plan and we'll work that out near the time. So that'll be some point towards the middle to latter part of October. So I will let you both know. But yeah, thank, thank you very you. much, and that is it for Man. us and our review of Anarchy Rules 1999. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please head over to iTunes where you can subscribe and perhaps you'll even be kind enough to leave me a lovely five-star review, which would absolutely make my day. If you're interested in guest hosting, please contact me via the Mid-South Moments Twitter account, which is at MidMoments. And I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon.